Welcome to episode one of the Impromptu Board Gaming Podcast. Today we just wanted to introduce ourselves by sharing our top five games that really demonstrate the range of our tastes when it comes to games. Later we'll be testing everyone's knowledge on flavor text, but first, these are just a few of the games we've been playing lately. I'm your host, Paul. And I'm David. I'm Andrew. I'm Joss. This game, I actually just learned Tylatum? Tylatum? I'm totally saying that wrong. At the time of recording, the game isn't quite out on the shelves yet. By the time this show drops, I'm sure it'll be available for sale. It's designer Simone Luciani and Danielle Toscani, published by Board and Dice. Yeah, I'm sure that's, that's correct. <laughs> you pronounced those names wrong also, by the way. For America, very America, it's very correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very likely, very likely. Very likely not correct. This is a one to four player game, and I really liked it. It's sort of this weird combo building game. I thought, Josh, you'd really like it too. Yeah, and it comes with fries and a drink. I love the combos. Basically, it's like... You have a set of actions, and one action leads into other bonuses that get you to other actions. You're constantly looking for combos that'll lead into that massive turn. (laughs) I thought it was really good all around. It had this very interesting um, dice wheel mechanic. So all the dice are laid out one through six in this wheel. And uh, the dice themselves, whatever they roll, goes into a specific slot. And that slot is just by number. And then the dice are color-coded to get certain resources. And if the number is high, then the corresponding number of actions is low. So, for example, if you get food and you roll the five, you would get five food and then two king actions. The game looks pretty. Or, you know, and it always adds up to seven. So if you got, like, six ore, then you only get one action of the corresponding type. Uh, if you get, you know, three food, then four actions, et cetera, et cetera. And then so you're always trying to balance uh, taking resources versus actions, depending on what you need to do. And it was a pretty interesting, pretty dynamic system, and I really liked it. Um, the one thing about it was that it seemed very clear that if you add players, it would add a lot of time. John Cox of... Uh, John Gets Games taught it to me, and we played a two-player game. We started around 6.30, and we ended about 8.39, something like that. And that was with teaching. So it's not like a super long game as long as you kind of get into it, but you're kind of building up to a point where you're trying to make that massive turn happen. So there's definitely some AP. There's definitely going to be a little like, oh, how big can I get this turn to be kind of thing. But pretty fun overall. I don't know if we want to play it three or four player. Because it seems like from what the board says, there's certain spots you can only play here if they're three players. You only can play here if they're four players. And it just adds things. So you can just tell right off the bat, like play times is going to be a lot longer each person you you add but definitely check it out i'm always interested in anything the italian gang puts out they always have interesting games but one of the knocks on them is that they have really interesting games they're all kind of 
medium to heavy euro-ish, but it's always kind of unclear just how deep the game is, I guess, or how much legs the game has. And obviously it's hard to tell after one play, but do you have any thoughts on just how samey it might be after a number of plays? I think it tries to do what was it Stauffer Dynasty does. It creates variability by having those a lot of uh, variable tokens. And then where the token go and what the tokens do are very different. And there's basically five different actions. So the wheel is a die, which is six parts. And one of them is uh, a wild one, which you can do any action with. So there's five different actions. And there's basically uh, extra tokens for of every type. And then where the tokens go and where they are laid out is going to be where the variability is. You're going to have a lot of different types of games with it because all the different combos and different actions and actions leading into other actions is going to be all across the board and it's going to be randomized. And there's like at least 30, 40 different tokens you can pick up. That's where the variability will be. I mean, after you play it a while, I'm sure like it'll be fairly samey in that, oh, I've seen this combo before. I've seen this combo before. But as far as which combo leads into what other combos, they're a very wide range. Okay. Then, yeah, that all makes sense. I'm pretty sold. Yeah, it's it's pretty tactical. You're going to look at board situation to, to figure out what you're going to do next. So Italian gang, is that like a, a general term we're using? <laughs> I think it's that's David's general term. <laughs> yeah, the group has a name, but I forget what it is exactly. Is it the mob? The mob, no. It's just, it's just a group of designers. They're all Italian. At least I think they're all Italian or close to it. And they work together constantly. Um, the first game was um, Sulkin: The Mine Empire, I believe. Perhaps they had some published games before, but that was their first. That was their first big game, and since they've had a number of really good, heavy, medium-heavy Euro games like Lorenzo Il Magnifico. Who's going to talk about their next game that we? I will talk about my next game that I've been playing recently, and it's a very important game. It is an award-winning game. It just won the Spiel de Yaris for this year. Anyone know what it is? Nice nice German accent there. It's like a trivia quiz. <laughs> okay. Yes, I've been practicing. It is Cascadia. Cascadia is a game that's actually kind of like a trio. There's uh, Calico and there's another game, I forget, that's coming out. I'm, but anyway, Cascadia. Cascadia's apparently supposed to be the easiest of the three and i think it's probably the best without having played the other two so i feel pretty qualified to make that statement it is a game where it's very simple mm -hmm. you draft a tile and an animal and you already have three tiles to start with uh when when you draft a tile you place it adjacent to any of your tiles and then you take the animal you got with it and place it on a space that has the animal symbol there if you don't have the animal symbol or you don't want to place it, then you just throw it away. No penalty, other than you have one less animal than your opponents. Uh -huh. It's very quick. That's all you do, and you do this 20 times. So it's 20 actions per player. Then the game ends, and then there's scoring. Each animal scores in a different way, so where you place them is important. And all the tiles have terrain on them, sometimes one terrain, sometimes split in half. And as you place the tiles, there's no restrictions on how you place the tiles other than it has to be adjacent to a tile you already have. But 
you do want to match up all the terrain types because each type of terrain you have, you get points for your biggest mass of that terrain. So every time you draft, you want to consider the tile you place and how the terrain matches up as well as the animal on it so that you can have the best configuration, score the most points at the end. Uh, the game looks great. It's very basic, just animals and terrain, but it's, it has good table presence. Uh, it's very easy to get into, and I honestly can't recommend it enough. It's probably one of my favorite games of the year. That is Cascadia. Have any of you tried I, this? I have played Calico. Oh, what did you? How difficult did you feel Calico Not was? Not terribly difficult. This oh, sound does sound a bit easier. Yeah, it's a lot. From what I hear, because I haven't played Calico, it's a lot more forgiving. I hear Calico, you really need to pay attention to where everything is and fit everything correctly. Otherwise, you'll just be stuck. Is that a correct assessment, or that does check out? I I did not find Calico like particularly difficult. Did you win? Did I win? I don't remember. I played like two or three games. I don't remember. Feels like it feels like you didn't win then. I might have won at least one of them. Um, like, like th there was stuff going on, but like it, it felt fairly straightforward. Like again, just just because it's like it feels simple or it doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, right? I'm just thinking like, okay, I've played like Patrick and King Domino a bit, and like there's elements of that where you're looking for specific tiles and whatnot and trying to put in the right spot. I guess my opinion with Calico is that it didn't quite grab me. I'm curious about how this one would do. Yeah, we should play it sometime. It's very I fast. It's to. about, I would say it's about 15, 20 minutes per player. Great. Uh, and because you just take 20 turns and each turn is just, you just draft. And while you're placing your tile and putting your animal, the next person can go. The uh, It's much more forgiving. Even if you don't have no idea what you're doing strategically, you can still play the game. Just get a bad score. I think it's great. Um, light, light, but great. Uh, that's Cascadia. Well-deserved win of the yeah, well-deserved Game of the Year award. Uh, let's see what Andrew's been playing. All right, well, as it turns out, I played this game yesterday, and this is a sort of ongoing campaign game called Kingdom Death Monster. It's a huge, like, Kickstarter-exclusive thing, I believe. For those of you familiar with video games, it's like Monster Hunter meets Darkest Dungeon. And to translate it, what, so it's a campaign-based based thing. Um, you sort of alternate between going on hunts, fighting these big nasty monsters, and then returning home to your settlement if you survive to then sort of manage affairs back at home. And then there's a sort of vague ongoing story in the background, and it's just very grim and dark and brutal. <laughs> uh, it, it really helps that one of the people I'm playing with has a lot of experience with it to help smooth things out, because depending on what you're looking for, it can be very unpleasant. But had a great time yesterday, and I'm looking forward to our next session. You didn't buy the game? I did not buy the game. No, this is through uh, a friend of ours. <laughs> Pirate Rob. Good old Pirate Rob. Kingdom Death Monster. It's pretty expensive. There's a lot of miniatures in the game, which ratchet up the price. The, the miniatures are very well detailed, and you can paint them if you wish. Uh, it should be noted that the game is very adult-themed. There is definitely nudity and uncomfortable situations, shall we say, mostly involving death. Thematically is where I feel the game really scores the highest, at least for me. Death is, I imagine, uncomfortable. I haven't done it. Yeah, uh, one day I feel I'll be ready, but not right now. I, I would agree with what David said about the theme being a, a very strong point about the game, for sure. There are a lot of cool moments in the game 
for you? Because there's like a sort of adventure book type thing in like various different ways. Like various different aspects have this adventure book type thing where um, you roll dice, your decision, and you have some decisions to make and stuff. And there's a lot, a lot of stuff going on. Like I definitely feel like I've barely scratched the surface, which is pretty cool. And, and again, it really helps that my friend knows, has a lot of experience playing the game and knows the rules. I didn't have to learn the rules on my own or whatnot. I didn't have to like slog through it. It's just, oh yeah, this is how things work. And that makes obviously makes for a much better play experience. Yeah, there's a lot more to the game than just miniatures too. There's a lot of content, a lot of story elements in it. And to be clear, honestly, to play the game, you don't even need the miniatures. The miniatures are just make things nicer. It's not like a miniatures game like Warhammer or something. They're like a small part of it, would you say? They're just they're just dressing to the game. Uh, you don't need them, but they do make the game nicer to have these figures that you're playing with as opposed to just you know a, a cardboard cutout or something. I don't, I don't think you got it, Joss. You might want to repeat yourself. That's all right. <laughs> we can go. We can continue. Shut Up and Sit Down has a review, which excites me. I love their reviews. I like that it's fully cooperative. That's great. Uh, Josh, Josh, what have you been playing re- recently? I had a new friend, and I was uh, trying to show them some of my Gen Con haul, so I brought out Scout. And I was also playing with a friend who's um, got some Chinese heritage, so they immediately latched onto the the kind of game type because they've been playing games like that since they were a kid. Um, Scout is a climbing game, not quite a trick-taking game. A climbing ladder game. I played with a deck of cards that goes one through ten, but is double. Each card is double sided. So like, there's a. It's the kind of like dominoes. Actually, there's like a one, two, a one, three, a one, four. Basically, you get your hand and you choose whether you want to play it upright or flip it over and play it upside down with those sets of numbers. And you can't change the order of your cards. And when you play, you must play, you know, cards consecutively from your hands. And basically, the person's going to play uh, a set. And it's only a matching pair or a run. And interestingly, a run can be just two cards. And then you can either top the person before you set, or you can pull one of their cards and add it to your hand, which is the only time you get to like kind of change things in your hands. Everyone really liked it. Uh, we played the full. It's the first time for me playing the full game, which is one round per player with four, I think. And yeah, it landed well. I, you know, had enough time to explore different um, strategies. But all in all, just a card game. Yeah, you guys played that one? Yeah, I've played that one. I thought it was really good. Oh, yeah, it scratches that T2 itch, so too, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, in a way, interestingly, because you can't... In T2, you're very much like changing your hands around and trying to put together something This you have to kind of have to take what you have and, and, and build a hand from, like, you know, playing cards from the middle and closing numbers come together when you play cards, so it's a different kind of thing, but definitely scratches that itch. It was a solid game. I remember hearing about it, and heck, Hoss, you, you taught it to me. We played that one time. The one time I played it, and I had a really good time. And then there's a rummy element where you can pull from someone's play. You can pull a card from the current play and add it to your hand, and therefore, and thereby improving it. And since each card has two numbers, like, you know, potentially you're getting, you know, a couple of options in how to add it to your hand and you can add it in anywhere. So the the big rule of Scout is that you can't change the order of cards in your hand at all. Yeah. And it's not so obvious, like when you want to, 
beat someone's hand or when you want to just scout and, you know, pull a card from their hand. At first, I thought it was more obvious, but as I play more and more, you know, I'm holding onto my cards longer and I'm trying to build longer. And it's that's really the question is the how long you want to build and how long you and when you want to play. Next time, I'll get them into something deeper, but that was great for the first time. What player count did you play it at? Uh, four. Well, something I found interesting about this game, because our friend John Cox from John Gets Games loves this game and pulls it out every opportunity he has, more or less. So we played mm. it at a, a number of player counts. The game gets so different. At Well, the game, the game is the same, but like a three to five. Yeah, yeah because the, the rounds end when everyone passes on a, on a show. Like you play a set of cards and everyone either passes or... And with three players... Yeah, but if you play with a, a large amount of players, like four players or five players even, every time someone scouts it and pulls a card from your hand, your your show becomes less and less powerful. And by the end, you know, there's like one card to beat, and it's like pretty much impossible that someone can't play one card on top of your card. In a, in a smaller game, you know, you pl- put down five cards, and you might that might finish the round because it doesn't get weaker by the time it gets back to you. Anyways, yeah, it does change a lot, and I'm not sure what number I like it most at. Maybe I just appreciate that the game changes slightly. And so I appreciate the different kinds of gameplay. But you definitely have to know what you're getting into. Yeah, there, there are a lot of good games that do that. Um, Stitch Island does that. Mm-hmm. Like Stitch Island 3 is very different from Stitch Island 5. Well, I suppose any, any trick-taking game sounds like it does that. Or trick-taking adjacent game. But um, yeah, I think probably for Scout, the sweet spot is probably 4. But it's definitely good at three and five, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. I've learned that um, a good way to do it is to play your hand, your show, in front of you, because as it goes around and people are taking cards, it can be hard to remember like whose whose hand is that, whose show is that. Sometimes, but it's got like kind of a Uno feel where you're just kind of going around in a circle, and you're not never really stopping. Hmm. Okay, I didn't think about it like that, but I guess that's true. Uno feel. That's a new word. New phrase. I mean, you know, you know what I mean? That kind of a continuous play. Just trying to go out. Yeah. Cascadia also kind of has that Uno feel. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I like that Uno feel. It's very, it's elegant. It's like, keeps it going, you know? Yeah. There's no big stop. Okay, everyone stop. We have to count, like, do all the end of turn shit. All right, and that's it for games we've been playing recently. On to our next segment. Since it's our pilot episode, I thought we should introduce ourselves a little bit by naming our top five games that has a range of mechanics to kind of demonstrate our range of tastes. So some, they can be all kinds of different games, and it'll just give our audience a chance to figure out which host's taste is most like their own, and I think that'll be pretty helpful in future episodes for reviews. be doing our top five games that demonstrate our range of tastes in games. For me, number five, my first game is Nemesis from Awakened Realms. I'm not much of a co-op game player, but this is one co-op that I really enjoy. It has a lot of theme, very epic, very plot narrative driven, which is something I really enjoy in games in general, but don't often get to indulge in. Hmm. I remember one of the fun things about this game, because I actually played this with you, is that we kept playing and losing, but 
each time we were destroyed by a new method, a new thing kept popping up that we were like, we ignored and it totally cost us. And the next time I'm like, we're going to make sure, you know, we, the fire doesn't spread. And then we all got killed by aliens. This is true. I was there as well. <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. If only they yeah. had the rights to alien for this game, because that's clearly what it is. I think it would have been, it would have been nice. Yeah, this game really actually has a a campaign mode that's only four games. I always wanted to try it, but I thought to myself, okay, let's beat the game once before we start the campaign mode, and then that still hasn't happened. So what are you gonna do? Uh, really, Dave, yeah. what's your number five? Well, number number five is it was really difficult to come up with because I kind of compressed uh, my top five from my top ten because there's a lot of similar games in my top ten, but I had to have something in here to represent like my love for party games and just simple group, you know, not too heavy, um, just fun for very inclusive fun. Uh, for almost any group. And the game I came up with here was um, one that I've had the most success with, with the most groups. And that one is Happy Salmon. I don't know if any of you have played Happy Salmon, but it comes in a Bananagram bag that is Sounds like a one-on-one game. Almost. Well, there's a lot of one-on-one in it. Basically, what happens is um, you have a stack of cards. Everyone has the same stack of cards, but it's shuffled up. And on it are four actions. One is a high five. One is a fist bump. One is a uh, it's called switcheroo, where you have to switch places with another person, like around the table. And uh, one is the happy salmon. And this is all happening in real time. You just look at your top card and you call it out and see if anyone else has a match. If they do have a match, you do the action, and then you throw the card in the middle. And the first person to get through their um, hand of stuff wins. <laughs> so it's just frantic, real time thing, and I have to I have to demonstrate the happy salmon to you. Uh, but it's like it's like happy salmon is almost like a secret handshake. It's a quick way. I think you can look it up because it's a thing. Yeah, it's it's just silly fun. There's no real strategy. You just try to go through as fast as possible, and then if you're tired, you know, once you've played a couple times, you can do the ultra fun mode of no talking, which means that for every card you have, you have to like mind the action. And look, look ridiculous, and if someone else is doing the same action, you can be like, hey, and then just you know, fist bump, and then throw it in. Um, always been hit. Sometimes people even like record everyone just looking ridiculous, send it to the group. It's a really good time. So my number you know, five you, is ha- Happy Salmon. You you say there's no uh, strategy to this, but I actually I play with someone who was gaming the system as hard as he could. It was pretty funny. So, I have to see this uh, Happy Sam gaming, yeah. Yeah, so obviously this game is, you know, just supposed to be silly fun. We were all playing it in a group. We thought it was just silly fun. But one person was like the ultimate gamer. So um, he would be looking around at everyone's, like, cards left and make sure not to interact with a person who had the fewest cards. And then he would intentionally hold his cards in a, like manner that um, basically had them in a perfect stack so that you could not see how many cards are underneath, especially oh, wow. when he got down to his last card, so as to indicate, oh, yeah, 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 uh, let's do the thing, and then so he could finish first and, and win, as it were. <laughs> oh, like, yeah, wow. I, guess, I guess two things I will add to that. There is there was, did become a meta of when we were talking to call out the person with the least and be like, hey, don't interact with that person, even if you have the least, you know, of course. And the second thing is with the no talking, especially 
One of my friends was especially good at sniping. So you'd be like holding out your hand for a fist bump. You see someone else, hey, they have a fist bump. And then as you're going for it, just all of a sudden from the side, someone steals your fist bump. <laughs> yeah, I just thought that was like, this is a party game. Don't you think you're taking it a little too far? And they're like, well, no, man, I'm just playing the game. Just playing the game. I'm like, okay. Um, you do you. I'm not gonna take it that serious. Yeah, it might be a little, might be a little more serious than intended, but it was still, it's still fun. Even when someone does that, it's not, it's not that big a deal. I feel. But and and but yeah, for those reasons, right. um, Happy Sam is my number five. Okay, uh, my number five. I, I'm gonna say that my list probably isn't any given order, but um, my number five. What I'm gonna say is my number five is. The Mind, which is a wonderful, quick, light, but very delightful co-op game. Um, that's, you know, fun, funny little premise, but it's really just about, uh, it, it's, it's a fun way to get to know people. It's an interesting way, because it's very much about uh, non, or non-verbal communication. This game, um, yeah, I really, I really love this game, but one of the knocks of this game, um, is that when it came out, it was such a phenomenon that it got overplayed or people over-suggested, I would say, and people were really into it because it is so unique and so different yeah. um, that people just started writing, oh, you got to play this game. And especially if you didn't like the game, uh, it got really annoying. And so I think that <laughs> it's, it's one of the knocks against it. That's very fair, yeah. I bring the one out a lot to a lot of you know non-gamers and it I don't know. What do you guys feel about the replayability of it? Because once you figure out how to count, then you just need to have someone who sucks at counting for the game to be fun. <laughs> Could be that. I think people would take the counting to the extreme where they uh, like bust out a clock or, or try to have some kind of metronome. I think that's a little much. That's literally cheating. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah. Could be considered that too. Wait, do you see people bust out a metronome? No, no, just the metaphorical one. Like, oh, uh, okay. Or, or like, one person has even suggested to the group, like, hey, we should all just go by seconds, all right? No, just get used to the time and like let's practice, and then like that's a little much. That's uh, against the spirit yeah. of the game, really. Yeah, yeah very you know what the game is about, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think by going like seconds in your head is all right, but not like looking at a clock. Right. Exactly. So um, there is a there is a like hardcore method to play this game, which is to play with the cards face down. You put the cards in the middle face down as a group, and then you turn them over at the end, and you Ooh, see how you did. I like that. And the rules, and it's, I've never gotten to that point with a group. Um, we always we always screw up <laughs> before that. I've tried it a few times with in two player games. It's very fun. It's very fun. It's worth trying. How often do you succeed? I mean. And when do you use um, the the throwing star when you're doing it face down? Um, anytime. I, I've never tried it, so I, I don't it's it's very up often, to you. but it's the same rule. Uh, you use the throwing star whenever you want. Everyone holds up. It, it's the same, it's the same principle, right? It's like, it, like you get a feel for each other's timing. And then if, if it's just like, wait, what's going on? Like, the same feel will happen. Yeah. Uh, for you, there's no other game like this. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think it's a great pick. So I can go into mine. My fifth one, if I were going to put it. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if it's in order, but I'm trying to get a range. Um, Mamma Mia. Which, 
does share some similarities, especially if you're doing the private, the this, the advanced mind. Um, has everyone played Mamma Mia? Basically, you um, you're you're putting things onto a pile. You're putting cards, uh, ingredients onto a pile, and when you think you have the the pile has enough ingredients for a pizza in your hand, you put that pizza down on top, and it's kind of a memory game, remembering what's in there. And when a pizza comes up at the end of the game, you're going through all the pizzas, and the pizzas kind of like use up the ingredients. So you might there might be a pizza that takes up the ingredients that you were going to use, yada yada. But it's a memory game. It's pretty fun to flip over and read at the end. Um, but generally, it's it's always like a fun time. It's always happy time. It's very easy to get people into. Um, playability, accessibility is a pretty big one for me. And it's super nice because it's just a deck of cards, kind of like Colorado, where it's so easy, it's so portable. Yeah, which means it so also has an awful around. box. Mm-hmm. Wish they really fixed those boxes. All my yeah. on Colorado boxes. It's like the thing with the the chef on it, right? There's one chef on it. Yeah. yeah. Have you have you uh, converted to using those uh, magic deck boxes? That's what I hear a lot of people do. They just like put all the cards into separate boxes and then move that's a good idea. I have done that for one of my games. Instead of I've done that for Marka. Yeah. Yeah. Um, getting back to Mamma Mia, this used to be one of my favorite games. It still is one of my favorite games, but um, it might have made my top ten had. A lot of the games not come out after this. The most interesting for me about it is it's done by Uwe Rosenberg, who later went on to make some of the best heavy games like Agricola and Feast for Odin. And when Agricola came out, was Mamma Mia made by Uwe Rosenberg? Yeah. Oh wow, I totally did not do that. I don't remember. Yeah, he used that. to he used to be all about yeah. small card games like including Bonanza. And yeah, Bonanza. Like that, so right, I, I know he did Bonanza. Or I remember that he did. I, um, Adam really liked Mamma Mia, and we would play it. Uh, we would play it once in a while, and it was a good game. But I totally didn't remember it was made by Uwe Rosenberg. Yeah, the um, but yeah, the, all, all things I said about it, it's quick, it's fun, it's accessible, um, it's very, it's it's unique. There aren't, there's not other than its sequels, of course. Um, there aren't games kind of like it. Uh, it's it's very satisfying. This is great because I didn't know there were sequels. That's awesome. I'll have to pick one up. Yeah, it's it's called Sole Mio, and it it just basically it's basically the same game. It just features more complex uh pizzas to make. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can explain that to you later. Yeah, and a, and, a, and a box that's intact. Uh, at this point, maybe not. You'll probably have to get it used. Yeah, <laughs> probably. My only hang up with this game was the memory aspect because there's <laughs> always game. somebody who. Yeah. Didn't like the memory aspect, and then would always complain about it. I'm like he explained the game, I think you should have kind of guessed that this—that's a—that's a major factor. And then we can move on, though. We can move on. <laughs> well, I feel like the memory aspect is, is kind of unique in that way because it's sort of like a semi-memory accent. It's more like a a guessing aspect. You don't really have to memorize stuff. And I feel like some of the best some of the best moments are the parts where it was like. Oh, like someone put down like a pepperoni pizza, and it's like, oh, they obviously are going to fill that. Um, there's no more pepperoni. And then when you get to the reveal, it turns out they were wrong. <laughs> now there's tons of pepperoni mm-hmm. and everything just goes haywire. Some of your just throwaway pizzas all of a sudden become made. It screws up the entire order of everything. Uh, I, I find that great fun. Uh, we're back around to me for number four. Number four. Uh, my number four is Teach You. So this is a, what, card game from 92? 
for I've been playing variations of this game since I was mm. a little kid for like oh jeez, thirty years, plus or minus. Probably a little more than thirty years. That's just wow. My family's been having fun with this game for uh yeah, decades. Literally. <laughs> uh the only thing that Tichu really did was the four special cards and the partnership aspect, which were really fun new new mechanisms to work with because it really forced you to kind of think about what you were doing in a very different way, in a very meaningful way, which is something I thought was really fun. What was the game called? I mean, what was the versions you played when you were a kid? They're like Big Two, Deuces, uh, Poseidos. Uh, there's just a whole bunch of names for it. I think other places call it uh, like yeah. Pres- President, uh, yeah, that too, um, stuff like that. Yeah, there's there's several names. I'm yeah. sure there's even more um, colloquial names for where. Yeah, variations from, from what the Great Almudi too. I mean, that's kind of the, that game took from it too. There's a format here. They call it ladder building games, and it's all based on just hmm. that idea of playing over someone. Climbing else. games. Yeah. Climbing trick taking. Climbing games. Yeah, you can climb more things than a ladder. Yeah, but letters are universal, more or less. <laughs> Our game group was pretty obsessed with it for a very long time, so much so we actually had whole tournaments for it. Uh, I ended up running a bunch of the tournaments for it. I ended up losing one of those really bad. Yeah, four or five tournaments? I don't know. It just got so big for so long, and I'm like, okay, this is a lot of work to run these tournaments now. Um, I think at the height, we had like... 14 pairs? 16 pairs? It was crazy. So that's 32 people. Yeah, not, that's, that, that isn't uh, just 16 people, but like 16 pairs wow. that wanted to enter. And I actually had to have like a wait list system for them because, <laughs> you know, I would always announce it to the group online like, okay, we're going to do this, uh, you know, a couple few weeks from now. Please sign up with your pairs, you know, have both partners ready, blah, blah, blah. Then as any other uh, event, they would just show up last minute, no no partner, just singles by themselves. And I'm like, all right, go in the singles corner, go find yourself a partner. I don't know. You, you either got to find somebody or you're not. And then everyone who signed up ahead of time, I would set them up. And then um, whoever didn't have a partner would only get into play if they found one and it filled out the bracket, like, evenly. Otherwise, I wouldn't let you play in the tournament. And that's just the way it went. I'm like, sorry, dude, you got to sign up ahead of time to guarantee a spot. If you don't, you're you're subject True. to uh, the needs of the tournament as a whole. I'll let you in if there's room, but if there isn't, you're out of luck. I'm not, yeah, yeah, I'm not doing a whole bunch of extra work to figure out how to fit you in somewhere. It's like, yeah, not, not going to do it. That is possibly the biggest knock on this game is that it is. Although I, I love the team aspect of it, most trick taking games yeah. will mm-hmm. not have that, and so that. That adds to it. It does mean that you need exactly four to play the game, yeah. which can be a little rough. The other part is that um, it's so popular that it can actually be intimidating to get into at this point. That's true. Oftentimes it'll be like three very yeah. fanatic players that needed a fourth, <laughs> and everything everything you do is wrong. Hopefully they're nice about it and understand, but you know that's not always the case with some people that are obsessed with a, a certain game. How do you feel about Haggis? Oh, Haggis is good too. I, I like that one. That's the three-player kind of version-ish of T2. Yeah, it's good with three. You can play it with four or five, I think, too. But 
Or is it only three? I think it's only three. Travis Worthington yeah, taught, taught me that. Yeah, it was pretty, I, I like that one, too. Look at you throwing around names. <laughs> it's two or three player. Uh, yeah, that that situation you described was honestly amongst the worst. When three people who play a lot want need a fourth, and they just drag someone in, and then the fourth person is like just wants to play and doesn't necessarily want to learn every like intricate, nuanced uh, convention and tactic in the game. Because this is what always happens: the more experienced team uh, t- wins the hand, then the person who's partnered with the less experienced person always wants to go over and critique their play. And like, some people do not want their play critiqued. (laughs) They're just like, dude, I'm not here to like learn all, you know, learn all the tricks here. I just want to play the game. And then like, it's just a bad situation. I've just seen it happen so many times. It's like, oh, okay, dude. And um, sometimes when I'm playing and I'm the more experienced player, I'm like, it's totally cool. Just do whatever you think is correct. If you want to talk about it after, we can, but we don't have to. We can just move on. And then the more experienced team starts like telling the guy, the the new guy, what he's doing wrong. And I just tell them, "Hey, guys, guys, no, it's his first game. Just let him play. You know, it's fine. <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah. This that obsession creates this like mm-hmm. need to tell other people how to play better. And I'm like. That is not always a good thing. Just don't do it. Just resist the urge. But yeah, it's pretty hilarious. I got a lot of stories about Teach You, but uh, that that aspect of like one person kind of holding other people down kind of leads me into my number four, which is um, it's a game. I I personally like a range of tastes in it, but I, one thing I like more than others is um, interaction in a game. Um, done well or unique interactions in games and you know personally games that you know your move affects the other players well some people hate that that's something i really like i understand it can be done poorly and it like i don't really like direct conflict war games as much but my next game which is uh broom service is one of my favorites mm-hmm. uh, also witch's brew it's a very similar game but that one's out of print and harder to find I think Broom Service is out of print at this point, too. But it was a more recent game, so I'm going with that. I like the inclusion of the board. I have friends who prefer Witch's Brew. I kind of consider them basically the same game. Um, anyway, and this one has a unique play-follow mechanism where one person leads with with an action. Then everybody else, you drafted your hand um, beforehand out of a set of 10. Everyone else has to follow that action if they can. And when you do, you have to choose whether you're the good action, like the best action, which is better but can be stolen, or just the follow action, which has no risk, but is generally a weaker version of the action. The thing is, if anyone after you also drafted that card and also takes the best action, then you lose the best action. You get nothing, and that's just it. So it has this unique mechanism where you have to observe what the other players are doing, especially the person after you and try to predict what they want to do so that you can get away with sneaking in the best actions and getting an advantage. And I really, really like that game uh, for that reason. I do remember hearing that mechanic for the first time and just being like, oh, this is like super clever and fun, and I had a great time the one time I played it. Grim Service. Oh, you've only played once? I've only played once. Maybe, I'm pretty sure only once. It's possible it's twice, but... 
Yeah, it's definitely. I, I'm like the newest to like the board game scene in oh, general in okay. this group, right? And so. Yeah, the four of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's a pretty good game. Um, it gets a little samey for me after a while. Um, I guess I ultimately adopt the tactic where my my cards, the actions I pick, don't need to link into each other. They're all generally independent. So what I mean by that is some people might pick, I gather this resource and then deliver this resource. <laughs> I pretty much try never to do that. It's usually gather a bunch of resources and then, um, so whether I take the brave or the um, cowardly action, that's the difference, right? Brave or the cowardly It depends on which game you're playing, but yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah. I would get what I get and each action is independent. Like, will work independent of the other. Because the worst thing is when you hit a chain where if you don't get the first action, your next two or three actions are no good anyway. And it's like, oh, that sucks. And then in a subsequent round, I would pick all deliver actions. And then maybe I wouldn't deliver everything, but I would get to deliver something probably. And then... Well, yeah, that leads into some of my favorite moments of this game is when people pull off a combo that's based on like timing or a chain of actions because if you're not the leader then other people can choose or can affect the order of how the actions come out and so you know it is a risk but when it pays off it's a great feeling the other one is just when you you play an action you're trying to decide whether to take the the good or the bad action and you're just staring at the person to your left like do you have this do you have this <laughs> And just taking this in, and everyone, everyone at the table is also just engaged because they know what's going on. And it's like, what's well, do? you already have <laughs> three fun. of the orange resource. Yeah, yeah. But did you pull no this way. card just to screw me? There's no, no way, way you took this. You, you don't need this, right? Like, <laughs> guys, just oh, <laughs> maybe I got it. Who knows? What way to find out? What way to find out? Yeah, so that, so that sort of interaction is exactly why I love the game, and that's why I picked it at number four, which is a uh, broom service. Cool. Uh, my number four, I'm going to go with another co-op game, Letter Jam. Uh, so another more recent one. Um, it's a fun little word game, and we're, we're sort of, uh, every player makes a word um, for another player to sort of like solve over the course of the game, and then you sort of one by one, you have this letter in front of you, but you face it away from you, so you don't see what this letter is. And then the team will sort of, you know, take turns giving clues to help everyone ideally figure out what their letters are, and then at the very end of the game, you sort of unscramble and solve your word. Yeah, this is a good pick. I'm a little biased against it due to being a spell check baby and have a hard time spelling things in general, but that's just me. Oh, that's one of the that's one of the best parts. It's in the rules. You you don't have to make a real word <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, when you do it. So so I've given I've given clues that have been misspelled. Um, just because I had to, and I've given proper names as a clue. Like my favorite clue of all time I've ever given was uh, once I gave a clue was uh, Bugs Bunny, all one word. Nice. And yeah, you know, it's, uh -huh. it's a great clue. It's ten letters. Like people oh. got it, but they're looking at it like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love. I also really enjoy that in the rules. It's like very like free form and like there's a scoring system if you care about it. And I've never paid attention to it. Yeah, the theme theme's oh, a little yeah. out there, but yeah. it isn't is a abstract word game, so it's it's totally yeah, feasible. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great pick. 
So we're on number four, yeah? Yep. Yeah, I had to choose games that that I got the table most and that I I really I had to, you know, choose a variety of chameleons my next game. Um chameleons another party game. Um it's one I find myself playing the most and, and showing people the most. It's uh it's a hidden role game like you know, Spyfall or Fake Artist. Or I guess I guess even on the box it said it was it was cr- created out of code names and some other game. Um I met the guy who made the game um uh, before it was published. It was called Gooseberry. And um well the guy was super nice and he like gave me the game. We were like sitting in the front of uh was it BGG dot com like twenty eighteen I think. And yeah, I saw it inside the Target a couple of, like years later as code names and I mean as chameleon. <laughs> yeah, it's a game where a chameleon. you can play around in like five minutes, you know. Everyone gets gets to know what the secret word is except for one person and then you go around and everyone says the A word in order to express that they do know or don't uh etc. I don't know, it's a game you can play. If you can if you one of my biggest things about playing games with with a lot of people I'm around is how can I get them to enjoy themselves as soon as possible? You know, cause a lot of people have this like block in their head that where they, where they can't, you know, quote unquote, do things that are difficult or do things that take, you know, too long, hold their, their suspense of disbelief up in the air for a while. Not to mention, you know, uh, yeah. Attention span is kind of a problem these days. Yeah. But that one usually grabs them and keeps them going for a long time. Um, there's always lots of fun discussion. Um, there is the last time I played though. Um, my partner was the chameleon four times in a row. Like we started the game, I taught them, and then they were chameleon four times in a row, and they just they, they couldn't handle that at all. Oof, yeah, that's hilarious. It's pretty stressful being a chameleon, but you know it's just the game. Yeah, that one's a good one. Like all these games, if uh, if you're horrible at lying or you get anxiety over it. Uh, to be a big detriment, but I like this one. It's it's not as bad to be the chameleon a for the speed of the round. Like you don't have to, you know, be the the liar for very long. B you get a nice knowledge of the general topic, so it's not terribly hard. Like unlike Spyfall, where you just have no information whatsoever, the uh, it's not terribly hard to come up with something plausible yet generic uh, as the chameleon. So I like the game for those reasons. Too far away or too close, right? Those are the two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's funny. It's funny because even if you know the word, those are also the uh, the the pitfalls you could go into. Like you don't want to give a clue that's too close, but you, you can't give a clue that's too generic either. I definitely like this better than Spyfall. I mean. Yeah, I was gonna say that. Like Spyfall sounds way more stressful being the person who doesn't know what's going on than chameleon. It's fun though. I like the conversational. Oh, it absolutely is. That's why that's Yeah, that's why some people like oh, okay. it because it is more stressful and more intense, I guess. Uh, the only thing I hate about chameleon personally is the box. Uh, I get why they did it, but it's uh, yeah, it's just a screen. It's, it has chameleon in it. It's it's kind of fit. it's blended into the cover of the box, which is this green so, and white checkerboard. What's wrong with that? It's, yeah, yeah. It's really, it kind of hurts my eyes a little bit. It hurts your eyes. <laughs> it strains my eyes to read it. Yeah. How are you about looking at like a checkered flag at the end of a race? Does that like do you turn away? Well, if there's no word at the end that says winner or anything like, in, in it, like I'm trying to read. 
Well, I mean, you know what the game is without even – you don't have to read it. Yeah, yeah, I don't have to read it, but just the first time I saw it, I'm just like, let's, you know, you have to get real close and peer into it. It's, I don't know if it's the best way to advertise your game, to be honest. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's clever. No, I had that feeling. It was stressful. Yeah, at it. I mean, <laughs> it's clever. It's just, like, a little annoying, I guess, which is not the best marketing tool. It's <laughs> a good way of putting it. Yeah. But now that I have it, and I don't have to, like, look at the, the name all the time, it's like, you know, it's intriguing. There are many games like that that have a kind of a optical illusion on the cover. It is unique. I'll, I'll give it that. All right. We'll move on to number three. Uh, my number three is mm-hmm. Tamit, the by uh, Madigo, the French company. Uh, this is sort of my dudes on a map pick. And one of... The system in it is just so streamlined and pretty easy that I can't help but admire it. And it also discourages turtling. So for dudes on the map game, I think that's critical. You got you got to fight if you're gonna win. You, you can't just you know sit back and turtle up and wait for everybody else to fight and then come in and fight everybody else. It's like, and then there's no stalemates or anything. It's Get it together, get your army together, go and fight, and that's it. <laughs> and the other thing I really admire about it was the powers. Like, every power is pretty useful. Like, I can't think of one power that's like, well, this is garbage, I'm never going to buy this. It's like, oh, every single power tile actually does something, it's pretty good, and is proportionally good to relative to how much it costs. And I was like, oh, okay, every single tile is useful. And Gotta admire that. I've never played it. I want to play it. Okay. You should play it, especially especially Dave. Um, you know, with all the things Paul's mentioned, there's there's even more. Um, all the players are the map is weirdly designed, but well designed in that all the players are equidistant from each other by mm. number of steps, and that prevents like the Australia problem of like camping in a corner or uh, yeah. a little hopped out, you know, kind of thing to do. Um, anyone is vulnerable at any time, um, like equally in a way. And also, um, you know, because it's so offensive, they've adjusted the rules. There's a 1.5 rules, which makes it even better for in terms of like no turtling, uh, get out there, you know, very, very aggressive, very um, involved, like the whole time. Um, it is a heavy game, and there is a lot of direct conflict. But in, in far, insofar as um, those types of games, I definitely feel this is one of the best. Yeah, you got to be a little into it and know what you're getting into. But other than that, it does what it does well. And uh, honestly, I can't think of another Dudes on the Map game that really does the same thing. Or does it as well. <laughs> David, what's your number three? Well, my number three. I've I've noticed uh, you, you've added you add the publisher to these games. And now you have a look at the publisher. <laughs> I didn't, it doesn't matter. No, I didn't look at the publisher. I didn't, or I didn't mention the publisher in my earlier ones. And I'm like, you know, I, I actually don't know the publisher for most of the games I like. I'd have to research it. But the number three, I definitely know, and that's uh, CGE Check Gaming, whatever the E stands <laughs> for. And um, just like my number four, my number three is a has a lot of I feel uh, interaction no matter how bad you're doing, how well you're doing, and that is um, Dungeon Lords. Oh, this makes your list. Wow. Absolutely. 
Oh, yes. I absolutely love Dungeon Lords. I feel like it is one of the best designs out there. I feel it is it is kind of an older design. I could I feel like it could be revamped or, you know, um, just revitalized a little bit. It only needs like minor changes, but it could be could be a little more touched up based on more modern standards or more modern innovations in gaming. But the core of it is still solid where you play three actions on your board and you go around kind of like this top five list and each person reveals an action one at a time. And your first action will go, you know, you re everyone reveals their first action, play them in order, second action, play them in order, and third action, play them in order. But you're not doing the action, you're placing a worker on the action space. Each action space has three spots on it, and you're trying to get into that middle spot. So you want to be the second person to play the action. And that starts, uh, starts you looking around at other people, seeing what they want to do, and it's a bit more nuanced than that, but in general, that is the core of it, and that is why I love this game. And you may have noticed there's three actions. The One of the biggest knocks, just like Teach You, is you really, really want to play this game with four players. And so when you play with four players, if everybody takes the action and you're the fourth player, then you get nothing because there's no spot for your worker to go into anymore. Oh. And so, and that, so that kind of fear might uh, push you to go a little earlier, and then you are then you get the first action, which isn't as good, and you're like, ah, I should have gone later. There are certain situations where if you go first, you get nothing, and obviously if you're fourth, you get nothing, and yeah, so you're in a tough spot all around. Yeah, so, but at its core, it's very simple. The game is eight cards. Um, you pick three of them each turn. Actually, six cards, because two of them are are not in your hand at any point. So, and each card has an has a resource on it or something on it. That's what you're getting when you play it. Um, couldn't be simpler, right? That but sounds really neat. That, that whole, yeah, that system of inclusion, um, just like room service, where you really need to look around at the other people and include them in your decision making. Yeah. There's not there's nothing better for me and. Therefore, Dungeon Lords is my number three. Oh, I'll also say, as an older design, it's it does benefit playing the game a few times. Like knowing, you can look it up, but you do oh. kind of need to know what is going to come up later as part of your decision making. Mm. Uh, so having people play a game multiple times wasn't that big a deal in like 2004, I think. I think it came out around then. Oh, uh, I think it's later than four. It might be like 2008 or 2009. Yeah, I think more so. Yeah, you do need four players. It's game the rewards like multiple plays, which wasn't as big a problem in 2009 as it is now with so many games. Yes, that's true. Uh, coming out. And also, I will say this game can be very nasty. Yeah. Uh, it's very possible. There's there's eight rounds in a base game, and it's very possible in the first two rounds to misplay and. <clears throat> totally blow your game and just be wrecked for the whole time. It's pretty brutal. Like, the learning curve... It's not that bad. Even you're yeah, learning. Even, it's not to happen. Yeah. yeah. Even when you get brutalized, I find it kind of fun because you can still try to make your dungeon as good as possible despite yeah. being totally wrecked. You still have a... You know, you may not be able to win, but you can try to, you know, come back and just make, you know, make a nice little dungeon or make, accomplish something. This game is rough. Uh, the, I played it. It does have yeah, that. Yeah. You definitely do want to play it a couple of times. I know I've only played it a few times, and yeah, it was. It's, it feels very punishing. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. 
that's that's it's got that old school punishment. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> a, a lot of Chavato games like are like that though. Like the earlier ones, at least, yeah. Codenames isn't so punishing, but the, <laughs> anybody moves moves, you don't take that big a hit. But the, <laughs> I, I think if uh, I think if Chavato revamped it or revised this game and made it like kind of a still has that aspect of like not punishing, but like more like more rewarding for the other players. So you're not really punished, but you just kind of stay the same. So it's a mm -hmm. little bit nicer. Um, I think this game, this method, or sorry, the system could really take off. I think it still holds up and is still a great system. Um, but it is in a, in a punishing game. So. I mean, it's designed to be very tight. Like, yes. very small margins and very small margins for error. Like, you know, it punishes a mistake pretty severely. Because you're essentially taking eight, like, um, what, 12 actions, and in those 12 actions per year, you're you're gonna solve, you're gonna try to solve this uh, puzzle at the end, right? That's what essentially the the adventurers coming in to attack your dungeon is like. It's a it's a it's a puzzle that you need to solve, and you miss an action, man, like it's really tough, especially huh. in the beginning. Well, I love puzzles, and for that reason, and others, it's my number three, which is Dungeon Lords. Yeah, I've never heard of the game, but like that mechanic sounds very different from, you know, more modern games. It still sounds very interesting. I definitely agree that it would hold up. I'm curious. <laughs> what's uh, what's your number three, Andrew? Well, my number three. Uh, I'm gonna throw out one more co-op game before I move on to non-co-op games, but it's gonna be. Spirit Island. Uh, this is just one of those sort of heavier co-op games. Probably my first big like heavy co-op game. And my friends and I, we loved it. We immediately split a copy. Like as in like we went halfsies in on on a copy. Um, it's just like so. So like my, my background is a lot of like card games. Uh, you know, specifically Magic: The Gathering when I was much younger. Um, and so this had that. This sort of had like everything for me, right? You you had the awesome effects and possibilities from all these cards and all these powers, and it had a really neat. Um, I thought the timing system of how uh, like your your characters go, then the opponents go, and then you have a there's fast and slow actions, and the the enemy turn is in between your fast and slow actions. I thought that timing aspect of it was really neat. Um, just sort of learning that whole system and, and like everything felt, all your effects felt so small at the beginning, but then like things keep happening and the synergies between all the very wild or very varied, varied spirits at this point. Um, very, very cool interactions all around. Just had a great time. I've continued to have a great time with it. I know, David, you've played it a lot. Oh, absolutely. I love this game. I was just waiting for someone else to interject because I would just basically say, <laughs> say the same stuff. Uh, yeah. One, one of the, the things I really like about it. Oh, oh yeah, go ahead, right. Paul. Uh, the, the fast action, slow action thing is very similar to the mechanic in Dungeon Lords. They have that, too, with the fast magic, slow magic in the, um, in the puzzle aspect. Oh. So, yeah, yeah. just thought that was cool. It's a bit of a weird transition because the... Uh, in Dungeon Lords, it's just the enemies, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. this is what Regardless. you can do versus what the enemy can do, yeah. That's true, though. Uh, one of the things I love most about this game is that 
it actually feels like it's it's a heavy game. It's a heavy. There's a lot of the decision space, and uh, it's very easy to to get wrecked. Honestly, it's very easy to make a mistake. But despite all that, uh, it's still very thematic. Uh, all the yeah. all the spirits in the game are unique, and they all feel kind of like what they are. And they do it with just four cards, or most most of the spirits only start with four cards. So the only variance is really the four cards and your spirit's special powers. But even with that, it feels highly thematic. Like when you're the rock guy, you feel like this stalwart, defensive, golem yeah. thing. When you're the fire guy, you're blazing around, just burning everything, just going nuts offensively. There's even one that's like the ocean where you go in on the coast like the tide and you come out you have to come back out and you keep going back and forth like in and out on the island. Uh it's really cool. It it's true. It's true. The themes for some of those spirits were pretty, pretty awesome. For my money, this is the best um heavy co op game out there. And that includes like Gloomhaven, other stuff like that. Um for me personally. Um, it's it probably it's definitely, yeah, it it definitely would have made my top ten. Um, I would strongly consider this for my top five. Um, yeah, I can't I can't say enough good things about it. That goes very well. I've been uh, talking about that game a lot. Watch people play it a lot. Hear a lot of things about it. Um, I think I saw a, a, a game play next to me, but they like it's been like three or four hours on it. Uh, if you have four players, it can take that long, yeah. Yeah, four players plus like close to the first time, yeah. So a little daunting, but um, that's we're, I was just talking about that last night with my game gamers that we want to play that one next. Um, cool. Does it does it have a uh, difficulty kind of? You can ramp up the difficulty and ramp down the difficulty depending on the situation. Too that too yeah like so there's so many ways to customize it to your experience, not just the, um, not just what spirits you use, but <clears throat> um, what kind of enemy you face. So there's like several different you know, adversaries, as they call it. They each have their own unique little gimmick. And even within that, there are multiple levels. So you can <clears throat> really ramp up the difficulty. You can adjust the difficulty to make the game that game experience that you want. Okay. I think that's Uh-oh. especially important with any game that's more complicated like hard to learn. If your barrier for entry is really high, you need to be able to kind of adjust the difficulty appropriately. Well, interestingly, the um, I think there is a way to make it even easier than the base game. I feel like for some people, the base game actually is hard enough. Yeah. It can be. Yeah. Although you can ramp it up much higher, as Andrew said. So yeah, they do have that variety of variability in not only what you play, but what the enemies are, which also makes it even better. Cool. Shall we go to my third? Yeah. Yes, yes, please. Uh, my third is uh, Age of Steam. It's in there. The original OG Age of Steam that is is really um, punishing. You can you can pretty much fuck your whole game up on the first turn. Um, <laughs> they have made <laughs> updates like Steam, which takes away that aspect and sounds it's like it's probably fun, but I don't know. I learned it as original age of steam and it just kind of stuck with me as that it's a um a train game a track building game a pickup and deliver game um but you're vying for you know tracks between towns and you also have to think about the puzzle aspect of you know there's these cubes on this town it wants to get over to 
possibly this or this town, um, stopping in as many towns as possible. Um, but, you know, you're slowly ramping up your train and how many towns you can stop in. So you might want to take it for a two, a two town trip this turn, or you might want to take it for a six town trip in like five, six turns, but you got to have that in mind because you can see all the goods that are out there. Some, you know, more goods come out slowly, but the, the big bulk of it's already out there. So it's a huge puzzle you're trying to figure out and yeah, fighting for, for track space on the thing, fighting for routes that, that connect. And then there's also the auction of like, you know, there's five different roles and which one's going to suit you the best and who is going for what. And when you, before you even get to the auction, you have to know how much money you're going to spend that turn on the track you're going to buy and the auction that you're going to bid in. So you, you really have to to dial it in. You can add some, um, you know, give yourself some extra money, right? So every turn at the beginning of the game, you, beginning of each round, you take a loan, basically. Um, and you try not to take too much, but trying to give yourself some variability. Um, yeah, has anyone played that one? Uh, a long time ago. A long time ago. The, the best thing <laughs> about uh, Joss's list is, like, he went from what was it chameleon to age of steam, <laughs> and just the spectrum of skill <laughs> there is just so wide and so awesome. I remember playing this game, and yeah, basically it's exactly as Josh described. Like, you need to know how much money you're gonna use in the round and ask for it right at the beginning, and the the variation there is very punishing because if you take too much. You're going to be paying that interest all game, and it's just brutal. But if you take too little and you get nothing, you you make no progress, and then you have you still have to pay the interest on the the initial loan anyway. You're, you're just done. <laughs> so there's like, <laughs> so there's either like, so you you need to be able to like get the correct amount on your loan, and that's very it varies a lot by how much the other players are taking, which you can't know. So. It's just, it's, yeah, this game is, like, it's fun, but it's pretty brutal. Like, I remember I remember it being pretty brutal. Oh, yes, this game often comes up um, as one of the games that is brutal. Yeah. If you mess up your first turn, like like Josh said, if you, if you fuck up your first turn, yeah, you're done. Well, you just don't fuck up. You, yeah, just don't do that. Just don't do don't that. Do that. But, the usual, yeah. But I played, I played actually game different versions of this game. Um, Railroad Tycoon. Uh, Shoss mentioned just Steam is a different game. It's not Age of Steam, although it's very similar. And yeah, for all the reasons you said, this game is is what it is. <laughs> it is it's harsh, but it is satisfying if you get it right because there are those huge pitfalls. It's yeah. pretty big, though. <laughs> From my memory, at least. But maybe I'm just bad at train games, too. <laughs> All right, moving on to number two. Number two. My number two pick is Automobile by Martin Wallace. Martin Wallace? I don't know why I misspoke his name. All right. Oh, the guy that made the guy that made Age of Steam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Same guy. Same guy. <laughs> You're going to get a season assist for that. This is uh, his most unique game as i can recall i don't think any other game in any yeah i can't remember any other game that uses the same uh tech track properties 
that this game does and how it uses research cubes, which is just the resource to spend on um, the technologies, and how it extremely incentivizes you to keep uh, pushing forward on the tech track. It's pretty brutal, too, or it can be, and you really have to always just weigh the costs of keeping a certain automobile factory open versus versus closing it and then competing for market share and fulfilling those demand tiles is just can be so brutal. You have to watch what the other players are doing to kind of figure out how much demand how much supply you should be supplying into the market. Demand tile in say a four player game there'll be just four demand tiles and that'll tell you how many cars are going to be sold in the whole round. Now there's definitely ways to mitigate this, but you need to be able to take up a good amount of that demand. Otherwise, you're leaving money on the table. Your uh, your opponents gain, take that opportunity by selling more cars. But if you build too many and your overall like factory situation is too inefficient, man, that game is pretty harsh. So you got to strike that balance and uh, fill that demand uh, pretty carefully, which I have to admit is pretty brilliant all around, and I haven't seen another game repeat it exactly. So that's my number two, Automobile. Yeah, it's a lovely game. I, I love the, the ways it, it pushes symbols and I love the theme. And, I mean, the whole game, the board just kind of looks different. I've played it a bunch um, back in the day. I'm, I'm really, I'm a little confused, though. You, you, kept, you kept saying tech track, and I don't think there's any tech in the game. There's just there's three types of, there's there's three types of vehicles that you might be going after and you need to get those oh, into oh, the, the market. The tech but... track refers to the board itself. Each new model represents an improvement in technology. And it, yeah, yeah, it's a thematic oh, tech I track. See. So it's, that's it's what I just refer to it in my head. It's not a like classical oh, okay. like was, tech track. Yeah, I was a little confused there. This game this game is really neat. It's also with the with a minimum number of actions, you only get three around, I believe, and there's a lot to do. Yeah, there there are five possible actions, mm -hmm. and you only get to get do three per round. I will say this game does tend to drag with people that are AP prone. Yeah, that can be true. It's that very... can be true. <laughs> that's, that's, oh that's, boy, that's yeah, me. that's my only. Uh, It'll be bad only Hang up to playing this game when I'm. I do kind of see like, hey, who's playing? And Look around. If, yeah, if it's, if it's someone in the north who hung up on AP, then I might, I might sit this. You know, well, uh, you should play with three. I think it's, it's a little better at three, right? <laughs> oh, oh, that was the other thing. It's, it's a pretty different game at the player counts. Like a three-player game is very different from a five-player game. And then a four-player game kind of meets in the middle uh, of those two. Uh, yeah, a three-player game is very, very different because it's much harder to get to the end of the track for the late model cars. Uh, David. Man, oh, I got... <laughs> sorry, yeah. you are going to say something? Oh, yeah, man. Our last four games have all been brutal. Freaking Automobile, Age of Steam, Spirit Island, and Dungeon Lords. Don't, don't mess up your first turn. <laughs> 
because you'll be paying you'll be paying for it the entire game. It's a big <laughs> thing going on here. Right, right. I kind of wanted to. Yeah, that could be a strike against the game. Like if you screw up too hard, then you you screw up the first twenty twenty percent of the game. You're spending the last eighty percent paying for your mistake. <laughs> that can't happen. Oh, uh, at least. At least in Spirit Islands, you got your teammates to hold you up, or at least to make fun of you as you crash and burn. And everyone loses. But then, anyway, I was gonna—I was thinking about changing my list real quick and adding brass to show both of you and Joss what a real Marvel oh, really? game is. But I'm gonna—I'm gonna refrain from that and stick to my stick to my list and continue with the heavy theme and probably. I don't know. Well, my number one is my favorite. Number two and one are both actually pretty heavy for me. But uh, number, I debate on this a lot. It's which one's my my number one. It goes back and forth between these two games. But today I've chosen uh, Gaia Project as my number two. And if you don't know what Gaia Project is, it's Terra Mystica. Your number one Terra Mystica. That pretty much explains it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? No, no. I like I like Gaia Project much more than Terra yeah, Mystica yeah. personally. Um, it's just more it's just more involved, more interesting, and there's more to do with the power track, which is the most unique part of the game. And as for a quick, I don't have time to explain Terra Myst- or Gaia Project or Terra Mystica, but um, <clears throat> it's essentially a place buildings on a map on a hex grid. Uh, the buildings will reveal like resource uh, income, other things. You use those resources to go up tech to help you expand. Uh, put the buildings down to give you more resources and so on and so on. Uh, you spread out and other players are doing the same. So there's a fight for space and it's a very unique power system, which again would take way too long to explain, but it's a very fascinating and in- intricate part of the game. And and that's mostly why I like God for two reasons. It's first is the, the tech track is much more interesting than the monk track in Terra Mystica. And in Gaia Project, there's way more things to do with the power system, which again is the most intrinsic part of the game. And part of the reason why I really like this game, it is a super heavy strategy game with no luck. There is no luck in the game other than the initial setup. Unless you include luck to include your opponent's decisions as what they do or which spaces they take you know, to mm-hmm. block you or anything like that. Um, but there's right, no in theory like you say. could have accounted for that in the first place. Possible, although you know they could always. Right. I don't know. <laughs> there's better decisions than others. You know, you can just <laughs> loudly proclaim that if you wish. But yeah, as far as quote unquote pure strategy, no randomness. Everything is essentially deterministic if you uh, can plan things out that far. Um, it's one of the best. It's, it's sprawling, expanding. You get a real sense of like building, a, a, not a community, but like an empire or just kind of thing. Um, all the play, the powers in the game, you choose from a bunch of different alien races. Um, their unique powers and abilities feel different or advantages, I suppose. Um, there's usually a variety of ways to play each one. Uh, there's just... If you if you want a heavy strategy game with no randomness, this is the way to go. Uh, Tyler got it for a reason, and I love it. It's Guy Project. Y'all are, y'all have done a great job of selling me on these games. Like I'm very curious <laughs> about a lot of these. Well, the bad the bad thing is you're gonna need like three hours for each of these games. 
Okay, sure, but like I've done that before. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, like with like Spirit Island. Well, guys on my list, so if you want to play, I'll play with Yay. you. So we can get a we can get a day and play all these top fives and then share our opinions of it later. That would yeah. be yeah. Does anyone else play Guy? Yeah, Project? I played it. Uh, I really love. Well, I kind of came a little late to the Gaia Project train. Like I recognize it's a good design, mm-hmm. but then like I never. Yeah, I never got really into it. Into it, it's I remember boat. admiring the the power system in in the game, where um, if your building is next to someone else's building, and you upgrade your building, or you upgrade it next to someone's building, the you get a power point from them. No, the uh, if someone builds next to you, you can get power. Well, yeah, points. It's... when yeah. when you. When you upgrade your building, oh, like Terramis, you just yeah. get a cheaper, you get a discount on yeah, upgrade. Okay, but basically you change, you place next to an opponent, and then the opponent gets something for it. Or and if they that, place it right. next to you, you get something for it. And I always really liked that interaction because there's a certain like blocking elements to Gaia Project, but then they they incentivize you to be next to each other too. And those like incremental like uh, increases, those little advantages really add up throughout a whole game. And I thought that was like really a brilliant design. Like, oh, oh, I could really get boxed in here. Wait, but I want to be next to the other guy because you'll power me up. So it's a very like tempting, um, hard to balance sort of thing because. If you get boxed in, that game is not fun for you for however many hours you have left in it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's <laughs> kind of how it goes goes down. I mean, uh, Gaia Project definitely is – it's much harder to just completely box someone in. But, you know, that was definitely yeah, – yeah, that, that That's part of it as well. More of a Terra Mystica thing. Terra Mystica, you could get boxed in. Like, it's not that hard to box someone in. If um, either player is not careful, like, you just, okay, here we go. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> or it is prohibitively expe- <laughs> expensive yeah. to go anywhere. And it's like, okay. And done. You're done for the game. Yep. Continuing the themes of potentially brutal yeah. games. Um, this this is definitely one of them. Uh, it's, it's, very, it's, it's a lot harder to essentially sabotage yourself, like, if if you do badly on the first couple of turns, you're just not going to do as well in the future. You're going to have less resources and possibly less options. It's not like Dungeon Lords where your entire dungeon is going to get <laughs> conquered by a, a, a party of adventurers and uh, you just basically have no dungeon anymore. <laughs> yeah, super heavy strategy. I love uh, Gaia Project. That's my number two. Cool. Uh, for my number two, less heavy, but still sci-fi, it's Not Alone. Uh, so this is, I, I always, I like to describe it as a psychological thriller. Um, there's a, this creature, this planet, uh, so it's team-based, it's one person as a creature on this planet versus all the other players, or these sort of space explorers who crash land on the planet and are trying to essentially avoid the creature as best they can until they get rescued. Um, had a really well, what I found. So David actually taught this game to me, or he he just showed me 
like how this works. And I immediately like, oh my God, I knew I wanted this and I got it, had a great time. Um, so, so the idea is um, the different places on the planet, the, ex the explorers can sort of, you know, explore um, are represented by cards. They play cards in their hand, they play face down. So, you know, um, all the explorers choose where they want to go. The alien choose a place on the planet to hunt and look for them. Explorers flip their card face up. We see what happens. Cool things happen. Cool. That's the, that's the core of the game. Um, if you really like that sort of psychological aspect, this game is like tapped into it so well. Um, and then on the sort of design aspect, it's one of the it's a very rare game in that it works. It plays two to seven players and works well at every single number. Yeah, well, it's pretty mind boggling. Yeah, pretty mind boggling. That's very and, rare. But that's yeah, very I, rare. I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what Seven Wonders does that? Yeah. Maybe it's arguable because I don't think it works at two no, players. Seven Wonders does not do yeah, two. Yeah, it does not yeah. work on two. Seven not. <laughs> Yeah. Also, uh, oh, if you want to get into that, I don't think Seven Wonders works at seven. Really? But okay. let's, let's save that all for right, another time. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this is definitely a game I've taught to sort of show people, or new gamers at least, the range of what board games can do. Like it's, uh, yeah, yeah, people just have this preconception. It's one thing, you got some figures on a map or a board, and you just do this. And I'm like... Here, let me show you something different. And yeah, this has always been a hit with people I've taught it to. Um, there's only one aspect of it I think is a little not great. And what happens is usually when I'm teaching, I'm the creature. And then as the creature, when you're playing, you're incentivized to go after one person at a time until you completely um, deplete their will. And then you get a double advancement. So then I've played the game, and some people have like accused me, hey, why do you keep talking to me? Why do you keep talking to me? I'm like, it's part of the game mechanic. I have to try to anticipate you the most. And then and they're like, oh, I, I guess that makes sense. And I'm like, you know, I'm trying my best here. And, like, and, you know, once I explain it, most people are okay with it. But at first they're like, hey, man, why, why are you always just coming after me? It's like, well, you have the lowest will. And if I deplete it, you, I get a double advancement. That's what you're going to do, right? That's that's how you win the game. Like, okay. So that's, that's the big thing for people who are, are unaware is that um, once you, as an explorer, once you explore a place, you can't revisit that same place until you get that card back in your hand in some way. Um, part of it is losing this willpower that Paul mentions, which helps the alien advance. Other, otherwise, you have to visit certain specific places to get cards back in your hand, but that then makes you a vulnerable target for the alien, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, it's neat because it encourages some of the other games and encourages looking around not only at what the alien might think you're going to do, but what your uh, fellow teammates have. So, like, if everyone but you has played location for the river, you might go, oh, that's a safe place to go because the alien knows that everyone's played the river but you, and thus his odds of, or their odds of getting someone at the river is very, very low. But the alien knows that you know that everyone's played the river beat <laughs> and yeah. so on. It creates this kind of thing. It's like, why would you pick that? Only I could have gone there. It's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly why I went there. Right? Yeah. Uh, also another thing, just like, uh, just like Mama Mia and Happy Salmon and a few other games mentioned earlier, it's so portable. The box is so tiny. It's really just a deck of cards and a few some tokens and can be easily taken anywhere and because it plays such a wide range it's such a great game to just have at any point 
Oh, I also really like the um, the cheat sheet, the player aid on this. It just lists out the phases, and you can just announce, okay, phase one, okay, phase two, phase three. And it's just so, yeah, so clear and easy to learn for new players. So I'm like, this is really well designed. Finish. Oh, I also really like the um, the table talk aspect. Like, the rules specifically just say, you're on the planet, you can say anything you want out loud, but obviously the planet's going to be able to hear you, so it's just a little thematic, and it plays into the mechanic, and I'm like, oh, this is really well thought out all around. Yeah, good pick, good pick. I would say my next game kind of exemplifies my favorite, one of my favorite things about board games, which is combos, and making combos, and comboing, um... Castles of Burgundy. It's a victory point salad game, I guess, from Stefan Feld, where there's the system that uses dice where you don't actually roll the dice, you know, for luck, as people usually use dice. But, I mean, you do roll them, but then that just kind of, like, limits where you can where you can choose tiles from. Every different kind of tile has a different kind of way that it scores or way that it does something. You're just trying to put those things in, in, in an order or build them in, a, in an order in a way that, you know, gets the most points, I guess, and there's there's kind of different paths to take. Um, maybe some aren't as, as good as others, and it could be more balanced in that way, but in general, um, it feels very fun and balanced to, like, pull a tile that gives you an action, that gives you a tile, that gives you a, a pull, that gives you an action, and yeah, that's that's one of my, my faves. Uh, it's, certainly, it's certainly possibly Stefan Feld's oh. best game. Wow, that's quite a statement. Is that Feld's best game? I would have to think so. I'd be up there with Macau in that one for me. Oh, Macau. I don't think Macau's as well-received. Oh, definitely not. No, but I love it. Okay, okay. (laughs) I mean, it has the the Septagon rotating thing is pretty great. Oh, no, Macau's Macau's great, but we'll get to that later. The only only knock here is that it's it's such a great game. It's a really good system. I love exactly what Josh is talking about with the combo ability and the buildings, how they really can snowball and give you this chain reaction kind of thing. Uh, the only downside is the this is probably Feld's first attempt. I'm not sure if it's first, but he's try he keeps trying to make dice rolling <laughs> a thing, and he, it just, there's a lot of mitigation in this game, um, but it takes time to get them. Um, if you're using it, and that can be mm. a bit detrimental, but for the most part, it does work. I like I like the idea of it. I like the rolling the dice, and it kind of affects your decision space. So it uh, you can't just have a you can't just go into this game and be like I'm going to do this exactly. You do kind of mm-hmm. have to adjust to what your dice say, uh, and there's enough mitigation so that you're not just totally shoehorned potentially, but you gotta you, know, you may not have an exact route. You have to really work with what uh, you're given, and but there's some decent options within that. However, with anything like with dice, it can really mess you over for no other reason than you just rolled badly. Yeah, it's and, a bigger deal late in the round, right? There's five rounds in the game. Um, there's obviously a lot of good choices early in the round, but once a bunch of tiles have been taken up late in the round, if you roll badly and you and you roll into a space that's empty. Then that's yeah. Sure. That's, or if you only have a, yeah. a certain few things that you really must do, then yeah. Yeah, that's that's also true. But at least part of that is you can say that that's part of the risk. Um, part of this game is risk reward. 
Uh, you can take the risk that, you know, you may roll badly, but the stuff you're doing is better. Or you could take stuff that's not as useful for you, but now you have more variety just in case you roll badly. Um, that's the only part about the game I don't really like. I don't like playing towards that kind of luck, but it's not enough. Of, it's not nearly enough of a knock to make me dislike the game. This is also one of my favorite games. I'm always willing to play it. It's a lot of fun. Just me, or do you have a lot of favorite games, dude? <laughs> <laughs> At least five. Um, yeah. At least five. Yeah, we should do. Yeah, we should do a t- My top 100 would be very hard to to, to parse out. But it would be 100 games. Okay. Castles of Burgundy. I kind of had an up and down relationship with this game. I didn't like it at first. Then I kind of like liked it more as I played it more. And now I've kind of reached a fairly neutral spot. The one thing about it that um, I think is a little scripted is that you you get a map. Your map has certain, um, all, what, five types of regions, six types of regions, whatever it is. Yeah. And you, I think in order to be competitive, you have to do the tile type that has the most tiles in it. So what I mean by that is that you're not going to fill the whole map. There's just no way to fill the entire map with tiles. So you have to, to some extent, pick and choose what you, which tiles you're going to go for, and you're incentivized to complete it, like hit every region of that type so that you can collect the uh, the end bonus for it, and you're incentivized to do it first because that gives you the most points. But when you complete a region, the uh, you get the uh, triangular score for how big the region is. So the region is one, you get one point, but the region is two, you get three points. If the region is five, you get fifteen points, right? Sure, yeah. So you want the big one. I don't believe it's. I don't believe it's. Yeah, it might exactly not be. triangular. I think, but... I, I think it is triangular. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure that. I mean, I see what you're saying. That you're saying you have to play the game in order to get these particular bonus points. If you're no, well, you have to finish the region first, right? But I'm just saying you you have you have to finish the bigger regions because if you don't do it by the end, whoever does it. You know, it's going to score a lot of points just mm. for the size of the region. So there are definitely maps that have variations. Like one is all like a big region of boats, a uh, water region. There's ones uh, that are really big animal regions. There's ones that are really big the the brown buildings region. And whatever is your biggest region, you have to do that. You can't not do that. If you don't, you're not going to be competitive against anyone else who does do that. Hmm. That's just my experience with it. Uh, so I feel it's a little scripted in that way, but that's about it. I still like the game. It's I think it's a good design, but mm-hmm. it it seems like you have to do certain things. Maybe you're right, but also I don't. I feel like in every game you have to do something. Well, yeah. <laughs> Are we into round one now? All right, round one. Uh, my favorite game is Haunted Teutonica by Andreas Stedding, hmm. who happens to also be my favorite designer. Uh, he just has the most hits for me. And this was uh, the first game I ever play, played of his, and it still holds up. It's from, what, 2009? I've seen so many different types of games of this. 
like high scoring ones, low scoring ones, and the the forced interaction in it, the the interaction in it, really just like to really be good at the game, you have to understand the value of a fraction of an action, which is just crazy. And yeah, but the system as a whole is just not that hard to learn, but the interactions really just make it. Uh, that's yeah, my favorite game. Speaking of games with no randomness. Oh yeah, this has very little. Is... Yeah, only the uh, the tokens that come out are the only random element in it. Yeah, that's right. And where they're placed is not random, but oh. what they are exactly is the yeah, only it's thing. the only thing that's random. Yeah, it's a really interesting game. Uh, I like how it plays so differently, despite having the same rules and being, you know, abstract strategy in a nutshell. How it plays so differently with the number of players. It's a weird. It's always a weird fight over the action space. It's a weird at fight. The round, <laughs> at the start of yeah. the game. Yeah. It's like musical chairs. Do you want to get in line, or do you want to try to? Yeah. Do you want to get in line, or do you want to try to cut the line? <laughs> yeah. It's like a phone booth fight in a phone booth. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to go? You know, cover here, cheat, get to the express pass at the front. And then everyone's tr- trying to clamor not to be the one that you push aside to get to the front. And then you are. <laughs> I think this was the, the second game that has a a good supply versus a bad supply. So basically, a supply where your cubes are available to be placed on the board versus a bad supply, which you That's have to first transfer there. to mm-hmm. the good supply in order to get your cubes out on the board. Yeah, I think the originator of that was yeah. El Grande. Oh, was it El Grande? Probably. It's certainly the first one that I've heard of, and it's a very old game. But maybe maybe there's one weird example that's not very popular that someone can pull out and be like, yeah, yeah, this is the first. Be like, yeah, whatever, buddy. (laughs) I think the first game I saw it in was like Endeavor. Oh, yeah. And then this. And then Hansa Tisonica. But anyway, as Hansa Tisonica goes, uh, one thing I really love about this game is not only the just puzzlingness of it, but... I really like the board. I like how unlocking stuff not only gives you more powers, but it unlocks cubes off the board that you can then add to your supply. So you're encouraged to get the power-ups, not just because you can do more stuff, but also the more you unlock, the more tokens you have, the bigger pool you have to spread out and do more things as well. And I thought that was a really neat system that is actually used more frequently now the power-ups are really big, is what, it, is what I'm hearing. Uh, I see it a lot more now, but at oh, the time, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was really, yeah. really interesting. If you like games with uh, very little randomness, essentially abstract strategy game, multiplayer abstract strategy game for like more than two, Hansa Teutonica is an excellent choice. One day I'll play it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, yeah, I'll teach any game that uh, is on my list, too. David, what's your number one? Well, my number one is in a t- tight knife fight with number two for my number one spot, but it won today. So congratulations to Through the Ages. Hey, oh, okay. <laughs> that's on one. my list too. That was my number one. Hey, all right, all right, we have crossover. So uh, more specifically, uh, Through the Ages, a new story of civilization, which took the original, basically streamlined it, or and cleaned up a lot of messy rules. That fixed the military. Fixed the military. A little bit. I mean, military is still very important and probably the most prominent strategy, but it's definitely not nearly as dominant as it used to be. Looking at you, Napoleon. 
anyway, um, it's got all the things that, like like I said about Gaia Project, not the same mechanics, but the same heaviness, the same action uh, action space or decision space. Uh, but the thing that sets through the ages apart for me is the theme really shines through. It is a civilization building game. And as you go along, you really feel like you are building civilization. If you expand your, you know, resource production, it comes through. If you expand your food, you'll get more people. That theme comes through. The leader you have, you pick a leader in, there's three eras in the game. You pick a leader for each one, usually. And each leader has unique power, and it really feels like that particular theme. It also shines through. But it is still a heavy Euro um, game. There's still a lot of resource collection, building, build up military, do this, do that. You know, you, it's very possible to wreck your game. Uh, once you wreck your game, you are very screwed. But unlike most games, there is a mechanic in this game to quit and leave and be out of the game. It is definitely in there because, mainly because if you are just dragging, you will just get pummeled relentlessly by people with military. And that doesn't feel good. So you can use the threat of leaving the game to get people to leave you alone. <laughs> you can use it's it as a threat? Yes, you can. I don't think oh. it explicitly says that in the rules, but that is definitely a part of it. I um, mean, that's a natural sort of meta thing, right? Yeah. But how does uh, the threat so, go? Like, what do the other players lose if you leave? Like, They lose their cash cow. That's what they do. Uh. They don't lose anything. They, they won't affect them. Essentially, like if you leave the game, they're still just they have what they have. But if your if your strategy is to take military and beat up on other people to steal their resources or you know uh, oh. advance your technology, and the weakest person leaves, well, that just makes it harder to do. Uh, uh, it's very bad for you. Okay. <laughs> yes, it is. So you don't want to beat up, but that's 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 kind of a niche thing. That's not really uh, important to the love of the game. It's just it's just a super solid, super well thought out and thematic game that has lasted the test of time and is still my favorite game. It's Through the Ages. I've never actually played this game. Wow. Wow. Man. Wait, I've played a game that you haven't. Oh, you've played Through the Ages? I've played okay, Through the Ages. No, I, uh, I played... Well, you know, it wasn't available when I first started, I guess, or nobody I knew had it, was really the answer. And by the time I heard of it, like I kept hearing how it's like super long. So I never got into a game of it. And then, what was it? Uh, a friend of ours had Nations. And he said, oh, this is just like Through the Ages, only easier. Oh my God, so no. I was like, really? Okay, I'll, I'll try this. And we played Nations. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I like this game that much. And then from there, Ooh. I never bothered trying Through the Ages. No, that's like, hey, we don't need to get Through the Ages. We have Through the Ages at home. Nations. Yeah. At home with Nations. <laughs> Nations I also like, but for different reasons. However, through the edge, it's not. It's it's the same theme as through the ages, but it's not the same game by any means. The, well, like, uh, is it similar? Is or is it not similar? I mean, it's a civ building game, but that's about it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, it's not. It's not similar. Uh, the the guy described it to me as like, oh, it's like through the ages, only like a lot easier, and I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, it's I, like I, running a country, but you know, easier. No. <laughs> okay, it's okay. totally different. Yeah, it's themed like through the ages, and it is easier, but definitely different. 
Okay. Uh, although I have, okay. I have heard that as well. I think all Civ games kind of get lumped together in this way. But the unique thing, one of the unique things about Through the Ages is, although I guess this is true in Nations too, but most Civ games have a map. Most Civ games have an area which you build your civilization. You put little buildings on hexes and stuff, um, stuff like that. Through the Ages is all cards. Uh-huh. Uh, the whole game, the, there's a card line, which was stolen in Friedman Fries's copycat, interestingly uh-huh. enough. But it's a really cool system where the cards, each era is stacked on each other. So era one is before era two, before era three. Like the cards ramp up in power and complexity as you go through the eras. But you're going to go through all the era one cards before you get to era two. And the way it works is it gets put on a timeline, essentially, which is just a long line of cards. And the cards earlier in the timeline cost less actions to pick up than the cards that just came out. However, no matter what you do, um, even if you don't take any cards, some of the cards will be removed from the front of the line uh, each turn. So it's kind of like this interesting little thing where the cards you need are going to be coming up on the line, but you have to pick them up before they fall off. And you've got to you've got to value them at a, if your friend values it higher and they'll buy it when it's further back on the track for more actions then you're you're out of luck if you're waiting for it to get cheaper. Yeah, there's that unique waiting game where you're like I can take I can take Napoleon at two actions here, but if I wait he'll only be one on my next turn. But will he still be there on my next turn? That's the question. It's about what a six hour game, eight hour it can be eight hour game, but it's I suppose maybe maybe for, maybe for people's first games it should take about forty five minutes per player. Really? So yeah, so with four that's three hours. Although online, if you play it online or with other, there's a great app for it by the way. Okay. Uh, if you don't have it, the app for Through the Ages is very well done. It teaches you the game. It's got solo mode like challenges against the AI where you're handicapped or there's some weird like new mechanic just you know, kind of random to just spice it up a bit. Uh, <clears throat> it looks great too. It's very functional. I think I played it on Board Game Arena, and a friend teached it to me. So that went pretty yeah. quick. It's also on Board Game Arena. It's also on a website oh, called Really Board Gaming Dash Online, which is an interesting. Which is a, yeah, which is an interesting website for a site or a website name for a site that only plays through the ages. <laughs> that's it and I played a lot of games on there because it's just like well Board Game Arena at the time didn't have a a, uh, a what's this, non-real-time mode uh, what do oh, you call it turn-based turn, turn-based mode yeah asynchronous where you, asynchronous where you can just like kind of like almost email mode where you can just take your turn anytime mm. uh, and then once you take a turn, you just wait for the other person to take their turn, no matter how long it takes, or the, or you can set a time limit. Board gaming online had that, and so I played a ton of games on there, also in person. Um, it is it is a heavy game. It it is very fiddly. Uh, if you ever had the first version of the game, it's actually a smaller than average box, but that box is a brick. It is packed full of the boards, the tokens, the cards. Um, super compact. It was it was solid. It had little glass beads that would like roll off oh, your. Oh, that was table. great. Time. <laughs> no, no. First, the first, the first edition of the game was not very well designed in terms of pieces, but, but again, the new improved. But the new, the new version is better. Uh, they really, they really touched up what was um, some of the difficulties of the first game, or some of the 
brokenness of the first game at you because know, as as a strategy game is played a lot, certain strategies may come up that are just way too good. They fixed most of those or adjusted most of those. They added new stuff. Um, there's even new expansions with uh, new cards, new powers, new wonders, that kind of stuff. It, it's just got it all. If you want a if you want a civ building game, it's one of the best. If you want a heavy strategy game, it's one of the best. If you want a light simple game you know, look somewhere else. <laughs> but, Does the expansion include like modern day stuff? Like, is there a Facebook? Sort of. Or a... I think I think Bill Gates is in the game. Bill Gates is in the game. Yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. I think Elvis Presley's in the game. Something like All that. Right. Uh, there's some modern references, yes. Not like in the last five years or something, but. Well, no, I wouldn't expect it to be that modern. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that's really up to date. I mean, but they could. I think I think online, or especially on the board gaming online website that I mentioned, they have experimental modes where they might have just stuff like fan made stuff. Uh, I may I'm maybe wrong there, but but anyway, yeah, super fun, super thematic, super heavy. It's through the ages. My number one. Cool. Uh, my number one would be Great Western Trail. I think this is the first like big uh, competitive like Euro heavy strategy game, et cetera, that I got into. And funnily enough, it wasn't. I had to play it twice to be convinced I actually wanted to buy it, which is funny. Okay. But then I did, and then there's a moment where it was just like I was just teaching it to all my friends. Everyone loved it. I just played it a lot. And what really fascinated me about it, right? It's just, again, it's like my first big heavy one. Um, it just felt so like, what the f? Like, how do you tell what's going on? Like, what's right? Or like, how do you tell like who's winning, who's doing well? It was just such a fascinating little mess, and how like little decisions would influence other people or nudge other people into doing certain things. Tolls come to mind for the most part, but even just building in general and how that like then sort of slows down the board because everyone's sort of moving along the same track. There's just so, and the game has felt so different that you could go a lot of different strategies, et cetera. It just felt, it, it was, it was, it was mind boggling and yeah, really, really like it. I kept playing it. I, it's like one of the few games I feel like I understand very well at this point. So, you know, now, now it's like, right. Sometimes you play new games. It's fun. It's just new and different. And this is one when I, when I play it, I can really like dive into it and that feels good too. And, I remember we had the hardest time scoring this game when we started playing it. <laughs> like, and then, and then, like, uh, I think it was, like, a year later, they came out with the app for it, which you would score it for you. And I was like, oh, okay, this app, this is great. Now this game is, like, you know, much, much better. And it, it would just use the app and just score it because, yeah, there's, there's just a lot of, like, intricate scoring in it. I'm like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, yeah, this is a great game. Um, Really tough. I remember, like... I don't even know if I understand it well now, but I just remember the first six games of it I played, I did really, really badly. And I didn't realize, like, it was, like, my sixth game where I go, I think I understand what I'm supposed to do now. And usually it doesn't take that many games to, like, figure something out, even if it is a relatively heavy Euro. I'm like, for me, and this game, I was like, oh, I think I understand what I'm supposed to do now. I still have trouble executing it, but like, there are not that many games that like take that much of a learning curve. 
yeah, like that's just like I, I just had such a good time trying to figure this out with my friends. <laughs> they were saying just like, what's going on? It's like, it's one of the games that was. There's so many rules that I missed. Going, like, yeah, the first few <laughs> times you played, right? But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so much changes. It's it's really interesting, but yeah, the game endures, especially the 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 second edition, the new edition of the game fixes most of the problems I had with the first one. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's really well done. Yeah, this is also on Board Game Arena now. It is. Yeah. This is true. I especially love the the mix of essentially deck building. Unlike deck building where you throw away your hand each turn, it's just got but you do have to craft your deck, but you're also crafting spaces or using the neutral spaces that allow you to use the cards in your deck so you can cycle around easier to the better cards that you've bought. And just the whole placement of the board and the way it changes. I really like how at first you can just kind of zip around and get right through, but as people as the game goes on, it affects the layout of the board and makes it longer. And that's a mechanic um, you don't see too often. There are a few games where you can add tiles to the board, but there's very few that, or adjust the tiles on the board, but there's very few that you essentially build a trail as as you play the game, which is right in the title. But it's one of the cooler aspects of it for me. This was the first game I played where I realized you can overcall your deck. So there's a mechanic in it where if you trash cards, like take them out of your deck, you have to move your train backwards. And moving your train like along the, the train track is so important that you can actually it, – it it can be strategically wrong to overcall your deck. And I really admired that aspect of it. Because, you know, everyone's played Dominion, and one of the sort of key things you do is you, you cull your deck until you can consistently buy uh, provinces every turn. I'm like, oh, wait, you can do it wrong in this game. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't really overcall, or no one's going to make the mistake of overcalling your own deck in Dominion, but you can make that mistake in this game. Or at the very least, you can do it to a point where you still lose. Because even if you're getting your best hand out, if you can't deal with the situation on the board, then you know somebody else can just you know, still beat you. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a really like, I like that the idea of calling your deck is not an obvious question or not. There's no obvious answer to it. You have to kind of figure it out, uh-huh. and you can overdo it, and you could definitely underdo it. You know, so yeah. In fact, they buffed that action in the second edition. Oh, okay. You got like a little fly for reward as a result for doing it too. Oh, okay. Cause I was wondering, I was like, man, uh, uh, there's a couple of points where you can strategically call and go backwards and slide into uh, a station to get your markers out. But in general, other than that, I generally didn't call my duck very much, and I was like, oh, okay. But if they buffed it a little, then I guess I'm more incentivized to try it. So. Yeah, just a lot of wonderful little nuances. I really like this. Joss, what's your number one? Oh, I know what it is. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Through the ages. Thanks for ruining my transition there. <laughs> Showers, but it's very engaging all the way through. And um, I won't I won't choose another one. <laughs> I'll just keep that one. 
Well, you could talk about uh, what you particularly liked about it. I mean, I like, yeah, I like that you're playing for six hours, you're engaged, you're, um, you know, it's it's type of game where, I mean, I've never played it 45 minutes per player. That's crazy. I'd love to. I mean, to be honest, I play most of my through the ages games with Brad, but um. <laughs> I definitely know people who only want to play this two or three players. Like they won't go more than Absolutely. three. Yeah. Hell no, I never played a four player, and I won't. I don't plan to. But if it's maybe if I play online, I didn't realize it's on Board Game Arena. If I play it online, if I play it with somebody who, who thinks it's forty five minutes per player, then maybe I'll do a four player game. I mean, yeah, I, I think the military used to be too powerful, and I. But mostly, I think it was just a bit confusing how the whole system, the military system, worked. Um, whereas everything else seemed a little more intuitive. I like the combo building, the kind of like the build up, the build up, like, oh, I can do this. It's basically like resource management, exploiting these cards and putting them together in the best way, including leaders and benefit like one time cards to like just squeeze the most, you know, resources out of the game as you can. Kind of like real civilizations, I guess. (laughs) True that. And yeah. Yeah. So that's where I'm with that. Yeah, I don't, need, I don't need to reiterate everything I said earlier, but that the, the confusing part you mentioned earlier brings up an interesting point, which is I actually feel like the changes they made from the first edition or the first version to the new story civilization is a good exercise in understanding game mechanics and how to fix them or how to change them or like avoiding confusing stuff. For example, mm-hmm. especially for the military, there is in the game there's a political phase and you're allowed to play one political card and in the first version of the game you had to then discard all your cards or discard down to your uh, political hand limit at that point but what ended up happening a lot is that making that decision at that point led to a lot of confusion later because you have to predict what cards you needed or what cards you wanted to play during the main action phase um, without being there. And so the new edition just changed that to that you discard your political cards at the end of your turn. So you're not going like, oh, wait, I didn't want to discard that because I needed it for this. I forgot. Or I didn't realize I had these things. And so I wanted that card back uh, kind of thing. Uh, It's just you have all your cards so you can make all your decisions. And then at the end, you you know, tidy up your hand. It's much better that way. Yeah. It's great to have at the end too, because then people can start their next turn and, you know, it's not, it's not just the whole decision you're making in the middle of your turn. Yeah. Also in uh, in terms of military, military is very strong, but you need these tactics. That's part of the political cards. You need tactics. The thing is some, the tactics you get determine what kind of units you can have to get those bonuses. And it's very important. And the original game, there were just if you just you just had to draw the tactics. They were kinda of random from this deck. So if you never drew like any tactics, for example, then you wouldn't have any. You have a severe disadvantage in military. Or if you kept drawing tactics that didn't match the units you drafted, um you know, especially because sometimes you just have to get the stronger units in general. Uh you just you're just out of luck. Your opponents could draw the, the tactics you needed and take advantage of that and run you over. Whereas in the new game the, it's still the same problem technically of drawing the tactics, but if your opponents have a tactic, then you get to use that tactic uh, turn later, kind of like you know the transfer yeah. of technology. And thus, your opponent will never have – well, they will get to use it first. They'll get initial advantage, 
they'll never have a tactic that you can't also uh, take advantage of, thus nullifying any unfair advantage in that regard. Oh, that's really good. I, yeah, I like that idea. Thematic. Yeah, that's also very thematic, like the proliferation of technology. Let exactly. me show you this big cannon. Oh, wait, you have a <laughs> cannon. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, that's, that's a great solution to that problem. Is that the only crossover we have? Yeah. Y yeah, it is, isn't it? All right. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I honestly expected there to be more crossover, but not with me, <laughs> but just in general. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, if... If we if we expand it to a top ten, I would have more crossovers with Andrew. Okay. Specifically, uh, Spirit Island for sure. Maybe not alone. Um, yeah. Also, I, I kind of compacted with my number five, which was uh, Happy Salmon. That also kind of embodies um, things like Andrew's uh, Letter Jam, but also I really like So Clover and Just One. Mm, I think those yeah. are excellent in inclusive party games that are a lot of fun in so many situations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I might have included Not Alone. I mean, that's, I think, my favorite one-versus-many game. Yeah. Yeah, I can't think of another one that I like better. It's kinda, I was kind of surprised that no one picked, other than Andrew, um, no one picked Terraforming Mars. Well, I, I, so I think that game is hilariously overrated, so, like, nope. Yes, I'm aware. <laughs> Yeah, y'all y'all know my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think Terraform Mars has kind of gone to a now, mind you, I haven't learned I haven't learned all the expansions. I haven't played all the expansions, but just the base game, let's say, has gotten to a point where it's like there's nothing new to learn from this game. I mean, I still think it's fun, but like I've seen everything that game has to offer. I'm like, okay, I'll play it once in a while, but I, I'm not in general looking to play it. So you're saying that you haven't seen all that Teachu has to offer? Uh, I've pretty much. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I bet you've played it like a thousand times. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> well, it that's more about like the variation in that comes more from each player than it does like what the game itself has to offer, and that's sort of built into the system, really. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. What uh, what other honorable mentions do people have? Uh, for me, Magic Maze, Ex Libris, Everdell. Ex Libris mostly for the theme. I really <laughs> like the theme. It's like it's like a very like standard game, you know, as a game, standard worker placement. But the theme is like so fun. Yeah, Magic Maze. I love the I love the chaos from it. <laughs> yeah, that one's a good one. Um, and Everdell, it's the terraforming Mars replacement, and very good. I, I thought I thought some of the the dynamics and like the timing of the work replacement aspect were really well done. Carson City for me and Homesteaders. Oh, Carson <laughs> City, Homesteaders. Oh, that's one I haven't played. Homesteaders. Oh yeah, it's an auction game. It's a cuck -a -cuck combo game. I've seen it. Uh, I've wanted to try it, but just haven't been able to. It'd be a little problematic because auction games, you know. Sure. Concordia Venus or Concordia in general. Oh yeah, Concordia is great. Uh I would have said Dungeon Lords, Modern Art for the auction game, and maybe uh what code names? Oh uh Decrypto. Also good, yeah. Yeah, very good. 
Oh, and Anachrony. I really liked Anachrony. You got to bust that up more. I haven't played that since you. You're the only person I know that has it. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. You haven't played it since the last, what, BGCon we went to? No, didn't you bring it to a gathering once? Oh, probably. I mean, yeah, the game, the box is pretty huge, so I don't move it around a lot. But I have moved, I have brought it to a few. Um, I think I've played it with you like several years ago, like before the pandemic when you first when you first got it. Yeah, like that fills out my top ten list. I could have put like Vladimir Shvato's whole catalog in my top ten. I feel just all him. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh man, Chavaro. Yeah, I really liked a lot of undress setting stuff too. Yeah, maybe we'll do uh, our favorite designer deep dive at some point. I cannot do that. I am very unfamiliar with designers. And uh, like, I think my games are like pretty all over the place. The ones that you have. Just check your top ten list. See if you have one designer that designed two of them, and there you go. That's your guy. I think clearly so. I think so far no. <laughs> no. Every well, single one's unique. Okay. Okay. Um, it's good, uh, Andrew, to, to know the designers because you could be like, I like this game. What you know, something else they might build. What else does this guy make? Yeah. You know? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I understand. I understand. And like. Like so, Vlada is actually one I do recognize somewhat through Codenames and Tosh Kalar, which are very different games that I both enjoy. <laughs> yeah, he makes really different stuff. I think he's the designer that makes the most different stuff. Like every other designer, you can kind of feel like, oh, this is a Feld game. I got it. Like this feels like a Feld game. Or, you know, Kanizia, this feels like a Kanizia game. I, I get it. You know, even Andrea's studying, I'm like, oh, okay. I, I get it. This. This feels like a, a studying game, but Chavato, like, his games feel so different. The guy doesn't have, like, one mode or one style. It's, the game's just so different. Did he make Lords of Zidit, too? Was that him? Or was that... He did not, no. Chavato made Galaxy Trucker. He made... Space um, Alert. Money, Money, Moose, Moose. Yeah, that. Space Alert. Go. Oh, Space Alert. Well, those are, like, extremely different, right? Everything about him. Yeah, like he went from code, he went from through the ages to code names. I mean, come on. That's a that's a wide range. With everything in between, Space Alert is generally considered to be the first like app game, even though it technically didn't have an app. It came with a CD, although that CD is now an app. So you had to play like a little a CD track <laughs> yeah. that gave instructions like during the game. <laughs> yeah, that's that's such a better thing because. You needed an audio component and you needed a timer and well, no you didn't need it you didn't need a timer the the track itself was the timer Really doesn't it doesn't the CD play for like what 5 or 10 minutes or something and that's the time you have to get everything down Yeah it does but not that long it's like a minute and a half or 2 minutes something like that Oh and there okay. are even there are even parts of the CD where it was static it was like, you're not supposed to talk during that point uh, okay. Well, yeah, that's. I thought that was thematically genius. <laughs> yeah, it was. They, they did a lot of cool stuff, and even without an app, it just had a CD player with different tracks. Uh, so. But you know, app style game. He also did Mage Knight. Yeah, is, Mage Knight. Oh, I yeah. Don't for me, it's the best. Oh. It's for me, it's the best. Like explore around, get stronger, kill the final boss style game. That's that very, that's a very cool one. I believe we call those adventure, adventure games. I remember that's the most Euro adventure game I've ever played. It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He also had, he also made a game called Prophecy, which to me is just the 
early version of Mage, Mage Knight. Knight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he revamped Prophecy and made it into Mage Knight. The the Talisman Killer. The Talisman kind of has this weird like fan base, and they're like, just try Mage Knight, or sorry, just try Prophecy. I think yeah. you, you'll like it a lot better. Prophecy's way better than Talisman. Yeah. Oh, I say Talisman kills itself. It's just not very good. It has <laughs> a point of nostalgia for it. So. Uh, what else do they do? Of course, code names. But yeah, every time I mean he hasn't Bloody hasn't made much recently other than uh code names spin offs. I don't even know if that's him making them, right? Once you have the the framework for how to make code names. Once I every time I've seen his name on something, I get excited. I'm mm-hmm. interested. Even like Bunny Bunny Moose Moose, which wasn't that successful to me, was um at least interesting. Yeah. It was different. Uh I I don't know what he's working on now. I think he, I heard he's working on some kind of like legacy style game based on one of his earlier works. But all Ooh. that tells me is all that tells me is legacy game because based on one of his earlier works, it's just way yeah. too broad. <laughs> yeah. To be like, wow. Is it like legacy Galaxy Trucker? Is it like legacy Dungeon Lords? It's oh yeah, Dungeon Pets. Is it legacy that? It's so different. Dungeon Lords and Dungeon Pets have the same style theme, same universe, Very but different. such a different game. I remember what was it. They also made a re-implementation of Mage Knight with a Star Trek theme, right? Oh, wow, cool. Yeah. Yes, they did. I think it's called, like, Ascendancy? No, maybe, it's or? not Ascendancy. It's something else. It oh, might okay. be Expeditions or something. Oh, I forgot um, Pictomania. Oh, Pictomania. Pictomania is one of my Drawing favorite. Games? I feel like yeah. it's one of the most underrated games. Yeah. Is it underrated? I thought it was really well-received. I believe it is, but I don't think a lot of people oh. heard of it. Um, I think that's just because it's a drawing game. I don't, you know, they're just people who are not drawn to drawing games. Oh, really? Yeah, I see how I see what you did there. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's our top five list. You could definitely supply comments and reviews of our top five list. See which host that the listeners gravitate towards, and uh, you know. It'll matter when we start reviewing games. Okay, here we are at our game show segment. I've sent each player a list of games that I own on BoardGameGeek. And here's how the game's going to go. I'm going to read flavor text from a game. And if it's your turn, you're going to get the first guess. So the question will be amongst the games in my collection. Uh, if you get it wrong, the next player will get a chance to steal for less points, and the uh, next person after that will get a shot if the first two players get it wrong. So if you get on first guess, it's worth five points. If you get it on as a second guess, you get three, and if you get it as a third guess, you'll get two points. Everybody ready? Yep. Sure. I'm kind of ready. What the heck is power? I don't know what you're talking about. What power? You don't know your own game list? There's a game here from 1981 called Power. I do know what that game is. It looks like it's about running a TV station. <laughs> oh, there's planes. and. <laughs> I didn't realize you were referring to a game from my collection. Yeah, Power. Just the word Power is not terribly descriptive. Well, you could have described what Power is. Anyway, I'm ready. Let's go. David, you're going to be up first? Sure. What is Courage? Courage? No, I'm just kidding. Continue. Did you miss it when he was making fun of you about miniature? Yes, I did. Please explain. 
Miniatures, just a small part of that game, right? Oh, I did miss that. <laughs> now I get it. Now I get it. David, here's your first game. Your task is to recover and analyze a novel kind of crystal, as well as to conduct further research. You have been granted a limited amount of time in the station. In order to succeed at your mission, you will be provided with access to the latest models of research bots. Program these bots accordingly to the task at hand and use them efficiently in the various sectors of the station. David, you have 20 seconds. Oh, 20 seconds to look through 117 games? Thank you. No, you're supposed to know the game based on the clues given in the flavor text. That's what the whole game is. Oh, got it. Just a clue. All right, let me know when I have one second left and I'll throw something out there. 10 seconds, David. Okay, okay. Yeah. This is just a clue, David. Nice. Three, two... One. Is it Star Trek Ascendancy? Nope. Damn it. Andrew. Yeah. I'm going to read the quote one more time for you. Cool. Your task is to recover and analyze a novel kind of crystal, as well as to conduct further research. You have been granted a limited amount of time in the station. In order to succeed at your mission, you will be provided with access to the latest models of research bots. Program these bots accordingly to the task at hand and use them efficiently in the various sectors of the station. You have 20 seconds. I don't need the time. My guess is Aquasphere. That's correct. That's Andrew for three points. They don't mention octopuses in the description? I told you these are excerpts from the flavor text. I didn't put anything too obvious in them. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. How do you like that game? Uh, yeah, I think it's all right. It's a little dry overall, but you know, if you're if you're into the like the system and it's it's very puzzle solving, right? You're essentially trying to solve this puzzle. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty heavy game, and like you're working with very limited resources to actually like get things done. Yeah, I think I played it once and was like, "Whoa, I'm not used to programming." Solving. Yeah, it was very dry, very puzzly didn't really hit the the mark for me it's very it's very do it do it right or you're dragging the whole game (laughs) pretty much all right andrew you're up next ready all right yeah let's go since its inception in 2174 the world government has continually strived for global unity and peace our mission is to be humanity's shared tool for shaping a better future Earth is overpopulated and resources are dwindling. We now face the choice either to recede or to expand into space and find new homes for humanity. You have 20 seconds. All right. I feel like the 2174 thing is probably a... I'm leaning towards Star Trek because of that. I'm not making a guess yet. I'm not committing. Just 10 seconds, Andrew. 10 seconds. I don't know it. Like, I don't know. I feel like that year... Okay, so I'm debating between that, it's something sci-fi, it's probably... Um, I'm going to guess Alien Frontiers. That's not correct. Solid guess, thank you for getting rid of that one for me. I'm listening. Joss, your second, I'm going to read the description one more time for you. All right. 
Since its inception in 2174, the world government has continually strived for global unity and peace. Our mission is to be humanity's shared tool for shaping a better future. Earth is overpopulated and resources are dwindling. We now face the choice either to recede or to expand into space and find new homes for humanity. You have 20 seconds. It's definitely the game that I just saw on this list. Let me find it. The one that wasn't Alien Frontiers. Oh, I got. It. I definitely should have kept that in my head. Merchant of Venus. Merchant of Venus. Nope, that's not correct. Gosh, damn it. David. I'm going to guess Star Trek Ascendancy. I'm sorry, David. That's also not correct. Oh, wow. Okay. Damn it. <laughs> the correct answer was Terraforming Mars. Oh. Oh, that was my second guess. Oh, I'm sure it was. I thought Star Trek Ascendancy would be way funnier. I thought the Earth overpopulated kind of gave it away in that, you know, you're terraforming Mars, a new planet kind of thing. But what do I know? It is about that, yeah. Okay, I thought terraforming Mars was just about corporations trying to get richer, so it wasn't like... This is propaganda for them. They're, they're, they're humanity share tool. <laughs> this is good PR, Andrew, and that's a part of business. <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Joss, you're going to be first here. You ready? Yes. The planet was once the home of an alien race, and they left behind a wondrous artifact in orbit. Using your fleet to explore the artifact, you will discover amazing alien technologies that you can use to advance your cause. Winning the game will require careful consideration as you assign your fleets to integrate the alien technology and territory bonuses into your expansion plans. 20 seconds. I'm gonna say Alien Frontiers. That's correct! Hey! Alright, that's five points. Oh. I thought it was Star Trek Ascendancy. <laughs> you always do. <laughs> it's gonna be right one of these times. You have only gone with sci-fi stuff. After round one, Joss is at five points, Andrew's at three points, and Dave's bring it up the rear. With, with how many points? Zero points. <laughs> bring up the rear with a nice bagel. Alright, I strongly feel I can ascend from this position. It's not golf scoring. David, back around to you. You ready? I think so. Is it Star Trek? Is... <laughs> okay, go on. Cluster 5632 requesting removal of Rostor sanction protocols and immediate construction of galactic base. Rebuilding of war-torn sectors has begun. Whereabouts of friendly civilizations unknown. Need aid in establishing trade routes between isolated cultures. Repeat. Ross Tour Invasion has been put down. Cluster is ready for trade. And transmission. You have 20 seconds. Well, I know what I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> if they had said Captain's Log in front of it, it would have been perfect. But no. Sounds like Star Trek tendency to me. I think I'll go with the obvious choice, which is Merchant of Venus. That's correct. Dave's on the board for five points. Yay! A lot of uh, spacey themes going on here. Like, Yeah, what's up with your collection? It's just shot into space. I wanted the first round to have a common thing, but I was really just looking for whichever ones had clues, but wasn't too obvious. So a lot of them were, like, were the space ones. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Andrew, you're up. Okay. 
As building begins, it's clear that the promise of great riches has attracted the very best designs. Some have clearly been tempted to carry favor with the figures of the underworld. There are widespread rumors of midnight meetings and secret forbidden rituals. And now, amulets and hieroglyphs honoring the gods are appearing in strange places inside the new construction. Will temptation drive you to the worshippers of the gods and to a violent end? 20 seconds. So it sounds like something new. Cool. But now what? Now what? All right, I'm looking at... 10 seconds. Is it cheating to like look at the things, to click on the links? All right, this is going to probably feel silly. I'm going to go with Kemet. Nope. I guess it would be cheating, but you would have to read through the whole description because I didn't pull them from the beginning necessarily. <laughs> so, and I actually pulled them from the rule books. I don't know if they're the same as the descriptions on the thing. All right. Joss, you're up second. You ready? Oh, I'm ready. Oh, I feel silly. If you want to just make a guess, you don't need to. I don't have to read it again. All right, give it to me again. As building begins, it's clear the promise of great riches has attracted the very best designs. Some have clearly been tempted to carry favor with the figures of the underworld. There are widespread rumors of midnight meetings and secret forbidden rituals. I'm going to say Illuminati. Okay, no, that's not correct. Hey, what you just said is perfectly Illuminati, but I hear you. Very Illuminati, except for building stuff. They don't... No, I didn't, you know, write the flavor text to us. <laughs> Okay, David, get one last shot. Oh, please read it again. No, I'm just kidding. Is it Cleopatra and the Society of Architects? That's correct for two points. Yeah, there's corruption in that game. You can you can instantly lose. Well, instantly lose at the end. Okay, uh, Joss, you're up next for the first guess. As a consequence of food production increase to support the growth in population, cheap cotton imports increasingly replace linen and raising sheep gained importance. When European wine and brandy production was ravaged by plagues of insects in the 19th century, Scotch whiskey was drafted as the substitute for cognac. The whiskey industry exploded into life, turning it into a premium alcohol beverage in Europe. 20 seconds. Okay, I'm going to say Clans of Caledonia. Five points for Jaws. Okay. Hey. Hey. Did you say a plague of incest? I don't remember that part. A plague of insects. Got it. I love that game, by the way. Yeah, I like that game, too. It's a great game, yeah. So at the end of the second round, we have David with seven points, Andrew with three points, Joss with ten points. Round three. This is round three and the final round, assuming there are no ties. Each player commands a colony on a distant planet. Players build and expand their rival colonies by purchasing factories, operating them with human colonists or robots to produce resources, and using these resources to purchase upgrades to make their colonies more efficient and successful. You have 20 seconds. It's another sci-fi game. I know. Is it time? <laughs> <sighs> do I just do it? Yeah, I think it is. Ascendancy. Like, that's how you send by with factories and stuff, right? This better not be, like, StarCraft Brood War Expansion or something. All StarCraft, right? Three, like, <laughs> two, one. Your guess? Is it StarCraft? No, it's not. Wow, I was going to guess that. All right, weird. I think it's going to be Star Trek again. 
Okay, sorry. I guess I didn't say that. None of the expan they're not expansions. None of the answers are expansions. So no, I wouldn't have done something that dumb or shitty. <laughs> <laughs> I would be shocked if Paul did okay. pulled something like that. Okay. All right, Andrew. Each player commands a colony on a distant planet. Players build and expand their rival colonies by purchasing factories, operating them with human colonists or robots to produce resources, and using these resources to purchase upgrades to make their colonies more efficient and successful. 20 seconds. Seems like it would be very obvious. You'd think, given all the things, yeah. Well, I think it's obvious now, but I guess something else. 10 seconds, Andrew. I do have us. I'm. Uh, I'm gonna say it's outpost. Outpost is correct. Andrew for three points. I saw it a little too late. The picture for outpost is just like ten cards with numbers on them. Uh, yeah, I was noting the pictures on this on this page here are really odd. Like for instance, Seven Wonders. It's just this picture of some like uh, cosplaying lady. It's funnier this way. Yeah, well, it's got the box in it in the lower right there. Do you guys know how to change that? Because you can have it just list in the top left-hand corner of the Board Game Geek site. Like, my personal collection, I put in the, the pictures I thought were the funniest. And uh, I thought the cosplay was pretty funny, so I, I put a bunch of those as custom icons for when I have the game. You really went to that much effort to zhuzh up your collection. I was playing around with the site, and I did it when my collection was pretty small. Now, if you look, most of the games don't have custom images or anything. So, yeah, that's what that was. Andrew, here is yours. Okay. The Tontine. Uh, it's spelled T-O-N-T-I-N-E. The Tontine. An age-old investment scheme. Just buy a ticket to participate, and you can make millions. Countless entry fees are pooled and invested in an account where the gain is significant interest. After years of accrual, the last surviving ticket holder ends up claiming a fortune. Nice fairy tale, but tontines are illegal for a reason. It's the same reason they've been so famously featured in dime store pulp fiction novels. They have a tendency to lead to murder. 20 seconds. I thought I had an idea, and then the last half of that flavor text was like, what? I think I'm still going to stick with my Ten seconds, Andrew. gut feel of Ponzi scheme. No, that's not correct. Yeah, I don't know what the game this is, but it's intense, and I want to play it. I need you to read it to me, clearly. The Tontine. Uh, it's spelled T-O-N-T-I-N-E. The Tontine. An age-old investment scheme. Just buy a ticket to participate and you can make millions. Countless entry fees are pooled and invested in an account where the gain is significant interest. After years of accrual, the last surviving ticket holder ends up claiming a fortune. Nice fairy tale, but Tontines are illegal for a reason. It's the same reason they've been so famously featured in dime store pulp fiction novels. They have a tendency to lead to murder. 20 seconds. Oh, shit. What the hell? Uh, oh, man. This is tricky. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling... 10 seconds. I'm feeling... I'm feeling Clue, but it's not Clue. Save Dr. Lucky. No, it's not Kill Dr. Lucky. <laughs> Uh, David, you get the last guess. Lovely. 
Do you need me to read it again? Let's just go through the motions, I guess. The Tontine, uh, it's spelled T-O-N-T-I-N-E, the Tontine, an age-old investment scheme. Just buy a ticket to participate and you can make millions. Countless entry fees are pooled and invested in an account where the gain is significant interest. After years of accrual, the last surviving ticket holder ends up claiming a fortune. Nice fairy tale, but tontines are illegal for a reason. It's the same reason they've been so famously featured in dime store pulp fiction novels. They have a tendency to lead to murder. 20 seconds. I bet it's Star Trek Ascendancy. Don't remember that episode, but it could have been based on that. Like the whole time, yeah, right? I mean, I'm starting to feel like this is, um, what was I going to say? Oh, I had a funny one. Oh, it sounds like Squid Game. That's what it is. I'm going to guess Conspiracy. That's not correct. I didn't think so, but I don't know what's in that suitcase. Could have been the could have been the ticket. The correct answer is dead last. Really? Have you guys have you guys played that game? I have, and that's not the theme I thought it was. You know what? The game was originally titled Tontine. That's why they keep using that word. Joss, you ready for yours? I'm ready. And so you begin your grand design, starting with nothing but your brains, an empty shell of a building, and your fortune. You soon discover that wasn't enough. Local construction resources are limited, and you now find yourself bidding against your friends to get those resources. The competition is fierce, and the stakes are high. 20 seconds. Construction resources makes me think of Firenze, because they're building shit, I think. I'm going to go with... 10 seconds. All right, all right. Uh, I mean, it's not taboo. Hack and stack. I'm going to say Forenzy. It's not Forenzy. Yay, he didn't skunk us. Okay, David. Yes. And so you begin your grand design, starting with nothing but your brains, an empty shell of a building, and your fortune. You soon discover that wasn't enough. Local construction resources are limited, and you now find yourself bidding against your friends to get those resources. The competition is fierce, and the stakes are high. You have 20 seconds. Heron Tortoise. It's not correct. Okay. Andrew, you get the last guess. And so you begin your grand design, starting with nothing but your brains, an empty shell of a building, and your fortune. You soon discover that wasn't enough. Local construction resources are limited, and you now find yourself bidding against your friends to get those resources. The competition is fierce, and the stakes are high. 20 seconds. Uh, I'm going to say Carpe Diem. It's not correct. All right, is it Power Grid Factory Manager? The correct answer is Vegas Showdown. Whoa. Vegas Showdown. I guess that would be a weird way to start with an empty building and a fortune. Empty building and a fortune where your only real clues there. Okay, after three rounds, Josh wins it with ten points. David has seven. Big seven. And Andrew has six. Good job, guys. Yeah, high five. We beat him. And that brings us to the end of episode one. I hope everyone enjoyed our fun with flavor text game show if you're listening on youtube please like comment and subscribe 
If you want to continue the conversation with us, you can do that at our Board Game Geek Guild Impromptu Board Gaming Podcast, Guild number 4233. Or if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, please email us at impromptuboardgamingpodcast at gmail.com. That's all one word, impromptuboardgamingpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time.